In a world where 80s is considered retro, comics now dominate the movies, and toys grace the shelves of every IT call center, we are the, the Near Mint Fanboys. Hey guys, welcome back to the Near Mint Fanboys. We're going to do a little talking about some comics today and uh, got some toys to talk about too. And of course we have our Fanboy 5. It's a favorite segment, uh, we assume. <laughs> yeah, the feedback that we're getting <laughs> is that the three of us love that segment. <laughs> hey, if we like it, you're going to like it. And if not, you can't complain about it because we're not going to listen. No, that's not true. <laughs> we'll listen a little bit. We will take it under advisement. <laughs> well, if y'all forgotten, because I know it's been such a long time since we've done a podcast <laughs> or done an episode, uh, I'm Brian. I'm Chase. Fred. Oh, that's Chase. That's Chase is Fred. And Fred. Oh, this is Fred. Fred is talking right now. Chase was talking before. Uh, man, this is how audio works. <laughs> um, so... We're uh, we're going to talk about comics today, and I think we're just going to, in general, talk about you know um, where comics kind of came from and what it's evolved uh, into today for us, and and what we're still reading and or not reading, or what we're enjoying about the comic industry and things like that. Because it is, in my opinion, I think as far as the comic writing and the stories, the uh, comics have uh, are in a, a golden age or a renaissance kind of period where you just getting some amazing stories. Uh, you know, I think you can get just an, a, a good story out of a comic book series now as you can out of some of the books that are being written nowadays. Yeah. Um, there's just some really high quality um, writers out there just writing some really good stories. Yeah, which is weird because when I think when we first started hardcore collecting back, like hardcore collecting for me was like in the early to mid 90s. And back then it was mostly artists generating yeah. the sales of the comics mm-hmm. versus like storytelling, even though you had like uh, awesome writers, like, you know, Chris Claremont was doing the X-Men at the time, but Jim Lee was a reason. Yeah. But now I think it's a good, a good mix. Of, Cause now people know artists and writers names, not just. Right. <laughs> you know, it it kind of went through a transitional period, yeah. you know, in the nineties, it was about the artists in the early, in the two thousands. It was more about the writers, yeah. you know, and now it's kind of both. Yeah. Right. And well, and you know, during, during those, uh, nineties, you know, where the, the art was the thing and everything, I think, I think, uh, some of these artists that everybody loves so much proved that it, uh, wasn't just art that could keep a comic book going, yeah. you know, um, we had the advent of Image Comics, mm-hmm. um, which was creator-owned, and it was all these artists, the artists yeah. who wanted to create their own comic. Well, and they and wanted to prove they could be storytellers, too. Too, and uh, <laughs> while... Then they started having deadline problems. <laughs> then they started having deadline problems, and their stories were okay in some of them. Some of them were abysmal. Yeah. And, you know, you can say what you want. I, I 
I collected all the image stuff when it first came out. I was just as excited about the art as everybody else and the stories and looking forward to what they were doing. But I pretty quickly turned to the where I wasn't real interested in yeah. most of the titles they were putting out. Yeah. You know, to this day, the the characters that I most interested in that came out of images it was uh is savage dragon from eric larson and uh i enjoyed spawn for a time uh by tom mcfarlane but uh not so much anymore and then i enjoyed uh he, he was kind of a second generation image guy but uh campbell's danger girl yeah well and you know uh, as far as like image goes i think the reason you know they all started off wanting to do one, you know, do things their way and all that. And eventually they all kind of started doing things the way other companies did it yeah. within their own studios. But Larson with Savage Dragon was committed to, I'm going to write, I'm going to draw, I'm going to eat, I'm going to tell my own stories. Yeah. I'm going to do it all myself every month. And he kept with that. Yeah. And if other duties prevented him from doing it, okay, so the book went on hiatus until he could get back to it. But he wouldn't let anybody else do his yeah. book, right. you know. And I've got mad respect for him for that, you yeah. know. And and the continuous story he did has done with Savage Dragon and everything like that. And he's one of the few people that that kept that, you know, because even even Todd McFarlane, even though Spawn's probably the longest running Image comic, he hasn't always been the creative force behind it. No, um, you know, and and Image has changed, you know. Over the years, and uh, you know, through the uh, through the '90s and into the 2000s, and then into the modern age, it's not the same company it was. They've uh, they've really come around, and again, they're they're kind of a part. They're all still kind of a part of why we're in a renaissance of comics because they have some really quality stuff coming out. Yeah. But so does Marvel and DC, and you know, Marvel and uh, DC have been around forever. You know, Marvel since the the early '60s. Uh, and then, uh, DC since the, the, well, both got their starts in the thirties and forties. Well, but it wasn't Marvel at that point. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Atlas. Yeah. yeah, but still, but yeah. it, 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 they evolved into a different company because they, they, they didn't do the superhero thing other than Captain America, yeah. uh, until, until you got into the sixties, uh, whereas DC was doing the superhero thing almost all along. Yeah. Um, the but, Marvel that we know and love. That's probably <laughs> right. Uh, so you've got a lot of history there with the comics and everything like that. And I, man, there, there's just so much to talk about. You know, for me, uh, you know, I fell in love with the X Men, um, uh, in the ninety ninety one, uh, and went back and just devoured all the old stories and things like that, and just fell in love with some characters and things like that. And they're they're truly what got me into it, which I think a lot of people can say the same thing. You know, the X-Men are what got me into comics or the X-Men are, you know, I could relate to them. And, and that's one of the things that early on Marvel was really good at was being relatable yeah. to the readers, which is something DC struggled with. <laughs> um, and uh, that led to, you know, again, DC changing their model of how they did stuff and things like that. And they've had so many changes in models. Uh, but again, we're at this point where Marvel's putting out good stories. DC's putting out good stories. Independent publishers are putting out really good stories. Uh, there's, you know, there's 
good and bad in all of the publishers, but they're all putting out something good. Yeah. Sometimes it took them a few relaunches to do it. <laughs> you know, because it's funny that you say that because of the DC stuff, you know, and their relaunch with the, the rebirth and, yeah. the, and the, uh, the new 52. But, you know, the new 52, a lot of people didn't like or whatever, you know, because they were changing the characters, they changed the costumes, but they were actually, you go back and read them. Those were some pretty good stories yeah. coming out of them, at least initially. Yeah. They saw like the, the first Batman storyline, the whole court of owls thing. And then the, uh, was it the death of the family? Was that the, what was the first Joker it's story? A death in the, uh, death in the family. Death is the in classic. the family. And then death of the family. Yeah, death of yeah. the family is the 52. Oh, why they did that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, they did a, they did a horrible cheat. <laughs> on, on, on that one. Well, yes, but you also got to get, but it, one thing you did, it did give a new interpretation of Joker that yeah. was just incredible mm-hmm. for that time, you yeah. know, during that time. Yeah. And, and a char- with a character that's been around that long yeah. and to put a new twist on it, yeah. uh, you know, you got to give credit there where it's due. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't like the whole thing where he, he implied that he took the faces off of all the Bat family, and then it just turned out to be a joke. I was like, the Joker wouldn't have. If he was going to do it, he was going to do it. Because, well, I mean, in that universe, I mean, yeah, there could be, well, but there's some technology that we can use to put the faces back on. I mean, because the Joker has a new face. Right. Uh, you know, that that that's the one thing that I... Scott, uh, yeah, Scott Snyder. Yeah. Uh, I really like what he does with stories. Yeah. But I think he has a similar problem that Grant Morrison does. He doesn't always know how to end a story. Yeah. Because his buildup and his beginnings are amazing. But when you get to that ending, sometimes they're just a little lackluster. Yeah. Or they're, that he's built so much up in the climax that, and I think a lot of it is DC won't let him commit to the story he wants to write. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I, I kind of felt that that was the way it was something, because you felt like it was going somewhere, especially that uh, that uh, death of the family, that it was going somewhere, and then they just kind of cut it off. Yeah. You know, it's like, almost felt like he cut him off from the knees yeah. uh, in the story. Uh, so, and again, I don't know how much of that was him, how much was DC saying, no, you can't do yeah. this, or, like, you know. Well, you got to get it down to enough issues where we can put it in the trade paperback right away. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, and you know, because some of the people during that death of the family story arc thought Damien was going to die. Yeah. Well, Damien did die, but not in that book. Yeah. They and so that was one of the things that I thought. Well, maybe he wanted to kill him, but they said, no, 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 we're going to let. Um, yeah. But I think Grant Morrison, Morrison. Yeah, Morrison wanted to kill him. Yeah. Well, it was part. Of, well, for Morrison on his part was it was all part of a larger story he had been doing before yeah. new 52 had started and he was determined to finish it off, I guess. Or I think that was new 52's big problem is they had like so many hanging storylines that fans still wanted to continue. So they never, it was never really a rebooted universe right? because everything that took place in the regular universe still took place only in a really condensed timeline yeah where like batman had every single robin he had but in a five-year period well and that was the thing i remember you know because a lot of them did reboot yeah but with the batman titles even though there was that restriction on the universe they're like screw we're still telling our stories where you know yeah you you can't figure it out well (laughs) just imagine that's how it worked you know (laughs) and again it, it it made for a lot of it 
if you can get past the, the continuity errors and everything, it made for some a lot of really good stories. I, I can't. You know, <laughs> what I wish they would have done is do the same thing they did with Superman, where Action Comics was the origin, and then the regular monthly Superman was like the present day. Yeah, present day. I wish yeah. they had done that with Detective. Make Detective a year long origin, right? And then you know maybe throw in Dick Grayson and then some other stuff, and then have Batman be the 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 modern monthly book. But then you know, I don't even remember what Detective was doing. Oh, oh they that's were, the one. They were, they were all the Joker tickets face off. Right? Well, the first issue was where Joker, or the first couple issues was Joker having his face removed, yeah. and then and then after that, it was uh, basically Batman and Damien. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. no, well, they had their own Batman not on Detective. I remember Detective. They because it was Tony Daniel who was drawing and yeah. writing it. Yeah. And after that initial first issue. It the book seemed kind of all over the place in the storytelling, and it wasn't until uh, Jason Fabok and some someone else yeah. took over that it started getting started having a direction. Yeah, but even then, it still wasn't as it it, it very much felt like a second tier Batman book. Yeah, yeah, because I think Batman and Robin had their own New Fifty Two title. Yeah, they did. The Damien. And- there were four Batman titles at the launch of the New 52. Yeah. Dark Knight, Batman, Robin, Detective. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, there Batman. was a Dark Knight. Yeah, Dark Knight didn't last too yeah. long. Yeah, it, it was one that was just really... It had a good initial story arc. Like, I like the yeah. first story arc they did with it, but after that, it... Yeah, yeah I forgot about that. I think a lot of people but yeah, I mean, you know, and then, you know, you've got the comic book companies plagued with, you know, continuity things or, or not being able to, uh, or no consequences to the big story arcs. Because, you know, go back to Death of the Family, you had uh, Jason Todd, his face gets burned because the no. Joker sabotaged the mask. Well, in that next issue of Red Hood and the Outlaws, they figure out a way to fix his face, you yeah. know, and everything like that. Uh, and it was like, okay, so there's no lasting consequence. Yeah. The only lasting consequence was basically Alfred getting his hand chopped off. Yeah. Well, that didn't even happen they, until yeah. later on. Right. Yeah. And then they fixed that. Like, they weren't they able to put his hand on it? Because I think he... No. I, the, I they, think they there was, at the end of the New 52 stuff. I think so. I'd have to go back yeah, and double check I, it. I, don't I know there were a lot of issues where you only saw him, you know, they yeah, like hide the hand, the wound that was cut off or yeah. whatever. Uh, and things like that. But, you know, Marvel's the same way, you know, anytime they had a big event, uh, as soon as it was done, you know, anything consequential that happened got erased pretty quickly or got completely forgotten about. Yeah. What's the, what's that thing they're doing now with Captain America? Secret Empire. Yeah, Secret Empire. I didn't like, because they did so much build up for that saying like, like, nope, this is Steve Rock. This is how he's always been. It's not going to be, you know, mind control or, Cosmic Cube, or he's not a scroll, or it's funny because it ended up being yeah, and it ended up cube. being like a Cosmic Cube thing. I was like, oh, this is like when uh, what's his name uh, was a Star Trek director. Uh, oh, uh, um, JJ Abrams. Yeah, JJ yes. Abrams. Like when he was saying, like in Star Trek Two, he's like, it's not Khan. It's, it's not, not going to be Khan. I was like, guess what? It's Khan. Like they were doing the same thing with Steve Rogers, where they were just uh-huh. like, oh, this is the way he's going to be. And I was like, you know what? That seems interesting. I'm going to get that. And all they did was like, yeah, it's going to be. It's a Cosmic Cube. They're going to go back in time or something. I don't know if those last issues are out or not. But I have no idea. They're going to fix it, and they're, they're just going to make another alternate. Because they, it jumped ahead. Like, whatever's going on right now isn't isn't present day, I'm assuming. Uh-huh. Because they did the uh, uh, the issue zero 
which actually showed how Steve Rogers took control of everything. I was like, oh, this is cool. So that means number one is going to be, you know, how he's taking over the world systematically or taking over America that way. Right. And it jumped ahead like months and months where like the schools are teaching Hydra history uh -huh. and stuff. It's already been incorporated into the, the country. And like there's all these factions of heroes that are fighting. I was like, so how, how far into the future is this storyline taking place? Which means that whenever they fix it, it's going to be like uh, Age of Apocalypse or House of Vim, where there's another timeline out there where right. maybe evil Steve Rogers somehow came back to the present to, you know, vex the good Steve Rogers that had all that Cosmic Cube stuff wiped out of his mind. I was like, ah, oh, what a cheat. You <laughs> actually had me interested when you were saying, like, you know, it's definitely not any of this, and it just turned out to be the same old bullcrap. Right, yeah. Well, and I, I liked some of the twist with that, though, because they were, and I haven't read every issue of it, Yeah, but... <laughs> Like they, you know, like Steve Rogers has the memories of of all that stuff that yeah. made him a hype. But all the his supporting characters yeah. or all the other everyone else, it didn't play out like that for them. Yeah. Like, uh, like when he was a child, he's supposed to be like, or when he was a young or for, during World War Two, he was supposed to be like really good friends with Baron Zemo. Really it, it, but in, to Baron Zemo. He never had that, you know, or it, it was just, it was just Steve Rogers' memories that were altered. What a cheat. The adventure continues now with Batman, the serial. And nothing can slow him down. Nothing can stop him from bringing it to you. It's here. A smashing taste. A honey nut flavor part of your complete breakfast. Batman cereal. Comic book wise, you guys, uh, I'm sure we went over all of this in our, our very first episode. But you guys have any, remember like your first comics or anything? Um, or that you liked? Was it superhero related? Mine was Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> The first comics I remember picking up uh, myself at the grocery store was the, the Archie Ninja Turtle comics. Um, beyond that, I do remember uh, our cousin having some comics and having some Spider-Man comics. But, I, you know, that that wasn't... I, I don't have a whole lot of memory of being interested yeah. in it at that point. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't until we moved to Houston and we just, you know, kind of discovered really discovered superheroes and really realized how much there was out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, I knew who Spider-Man was cause we watched, you know, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and, yeah. you know, things like that, but didn't really become super interested until, till later on. And, uh, you know, one, one of the first issues I picked up was, um, it was a fantastic four annual and it was the days of future present. And it had one of my favorite or now one of my favorite artists, Arthur Adams doing the artwork. Yeah. Um, and it was about uh, the Fantastic Four's uh, son, Franklin Richards, as an adult coming back to the past to try to fix something. Yeah. And I, I don't really remember the whole story after that. I just remember th that interaction and everything like that because it was one of those crossover deals through the annuals that Marvel would do oh, every yeah. summer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, you know, it uh, crossed over for like two or three other annuals. And it's like, um, I know what you're talking about. It was Fantastic Four. It was New Mutants, X Factor, and Uncanny X Men. I think we're. I yeah, I don't I, I don't remember. I think exactly that's what it was. It was mostly an X Men crossover. Thing. Right. But uh, 
that that's one of the first issues I ever remember picking up yeah. off a, out of a comic book store, yeah. uh, newsstand type thing. And it and I mean, I'm pretty sure it wasn't new at that time. I know it was an older one, but I, for some reason the cover drew me into it and yeah. things like that. Uh, but I, I remember getting X Men number one from when Jim Lee, mm-hmm. you know, did that one and getting into that and getting into the X Factor, the relaunch of X Factor. And stuff like that, picking up the the end of the 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 New Mutants uh, run, and then going into X Force and everything like that. I remember kind of being right there on that cusp where those issues were still really available, yeah. and then getting into it from there, and, and continuing to pick stuff up. Um, and mostly through my initial picking up, it was all X Men stuff yeah. that I picked up. Um, I don't really remember picking up anything else other than that. I remember that I like other characters, and it wasn't until later that I tried reading some of them. But. Yeah. I think mine's like, I don't have a memory of not buying comics, even though I probably didn't become a hardcore collector until prior, like just short before that Jim Lee X-Men number one. Because, uh, you know, I would get comics as a kid from the convenience store uh, when I'd visit my dad. I remember having a, a, a cardboard box, because he was a, a farmer, like my family had a ranch. Yeah, so we had a cardboard box of like what oil filters came in like uh-huh. uh, from the store, and you know, of course, there's a rancher you have to buy like all this, you know, like in bulk. So I had a, a box, an empty box where oil filters came in that where I would store my comics in. So I have like all these like Batman comics from like the early '80s. I have like uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like I have collectors' comics that are worth money now, but are just like all dog-eared and ragged. Right. <laughs> uh, and the, the ones that are in good condition, you know, I have their all bag and boarded and stuff. But never, never, like, I never even read them when I was a kid. I would just buy them because the covers look cool. I was like, oh, there's Batman. I was like, oh, look what he's doing in this one without even reading the storyline. Uh, yeah, I would say probably not until probably a couple of issues before that big renaissance where, you know, the X-Men number one came out. Uh, we were still... Chris Claremont and Jim Lee were working on Uncanny X-Men at the time, doing the last storyline before they revamped right. everything. And I, think, I forget the number of what number it was, but the, the one I picked up that started me down that road of being like a hardcore collector was the one, because what was that storyline? Like what was it? Where they were all on Mur Island or something like that? And, and it's like all... Oh, it I think like, it's called the Mur Island Saga, and that was the yeah. last storyline they did before they did the... Before they were even, the one right. that I have, it's like the one with like Havoc. This is probably why I like Havoc so much out of the out of the summer's brood. Uh, it was the cover where like his I don't even think he's in his costume, he's just like in like military gear, but it's Oh, you're talking about the extinction agenda. Yeah. And like he's like pointing up and his like plasma blast is like shooting straight up. Right. Yeah, I think the Murray Island saga wasn't that the uh, that was like an annual uh, No, that was the last uh, it was the last little saga it? before they because yeah. it was what you had is them finishing up Tying up the loose ends from the um, X Factor, well, well X Factor and Uncanny X Men, yeah, right. But uh, the the Siege Perilous, the from when everybody who was in Australia went through the Siege Perilous, because that's uh, you had Gambit coming back in with uh, no, 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 sorry, that's much further back. Um, what was it? Was it coming off Extinction? There was some big event that they came off of that allowed them all to. Uh, converge on Mur Island, okay, uh, and then separate into the teams and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. it was uh, if I remember correctly, and uh, it's after Extinction Agenda. That's when they it was like the first big crossover between all the X Men teams in a while, because everyone still thought that the the X Men were dead at that yeah. point. Uh, but after that, 
they um, they did the storyline in X Men where they went into space, fought the scroll re- scrolls, and reunited with uh, Professor X, and then that, and then they came back after that, and that's when they got into the Mirror Island saga and got and teamed up with uh, X Factor and everything to stop the Shadow King and Legion. Wasn't that the run where like the X Men all had like those matching blue and yellow suits? Yes, right after <laughs> they did that, right after the uh, when they were in space. Yeah. Anyway, so that that whatever issue that was started me collecting, and then like that's when like they were starting to make the announcement of the uh, X Men. Their what were their what were their there was blue and gold teams, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, not officially like titled that, but yeah, they were titled that. But that was a, you had. To, that's what they're referred to. Yeah. As. And that's yeah. when like the that, that renaissance was starting because that Jim Lee issue number one, Chris Claremont Jim Lee one, like was going quick and I remember buying that at the first comic book store I ever came to because we, we took we went on vacation that summer. We came to Dallas. Mm-hmm. So I went to my very first comic book store, which was here in Dallas, and picked picked the uh, the multiple cover not the the, the fold out cover. Uh, issue right and that's the one that jim lee signed for me at the fan expo and then i got the one of the because the, the the fold-out cover was also like variant covers individually for like the newsstand one and i have one of the newsstand covers of it also uh and that's when it like that's just like when it started like when the comic book industry like really blew up and then shortly after that was like when the image was starting right sometime after that yeah which is really weird like when Image started where those the artists because of the way the time frame is with getting an issue out like Image was starting up but there were still issues from those artists that were still being published by Marvel. My introduction to the comic world was mostly through collecting Secret Wars and uh, Superpowers action figures. Oh, yeah. So that's how I kind of learned about these characters. And, you know, I remember watching so you know watching old VHS tapes that would rent at the Video Express there in Leveland. That had uh, you know sp- you know episodes from the old from the eighties Spider Man sh- cartoon, uh, not the not the Amazing Friends one, but the <laughs> other one. Uh, heck, I remember watching I remember watching uh, episodes of the Spider Woman cartoon show. I mean, I, I was oh, more yeah. familiar with her <laughs> than anybody else at one point. But you know, uh, but that you know that was my introduction. And then of course, whenever we did discover comics, you know. I, I, well, I, I remember having some comics growing up. Yeah. I mean, I remember having some of, like, the, the old Marvel Star comics that, you know, <laughs> were based on. But I mean, I remember having, like, Thundercats number one, yeah. you know, or something else. I mean, maybe maybe some of the Master of the Universe ones. But I remember having a, a Spider-Man Digest one time. And I don't remember what it was called, but it was... But, you know, it was in the same format as the... Uh, the Archie Digests they come out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I, I distinctly remember the story, and, and this is one of the things you know. I was probably more familiar with Spider-Man than any character growing up, just because again, for Spider-Man and his amazing friends, for remembering, from watching the the movie, you know, the animated, the uh, the the VHS tapes, and everything. So I kind of associated certain things with Spider-Man that didn't really end up really being associated with Spider-Man. Like, yeah. for example, watching the uh, old, uh, you know, watching the v- the old VHS tape of the old Spider-Man cartoon, there was a storyline in there that, uh, where uh, a ongoing storyline throughout several episodes, and I think this was 
what this uh, tape was based on. It was all these episodes. Yeah. And it was Spider-Man versus Doctor Doom. <laughs> so I always just assume Doctor Doom was Spider-Man's arch enemy. <laughs> Didn't know anything about Green Goblin yeah. or you know or any of those. And so I just I always just associated Spider-Man with Doctor Doom. Well, as I was saying, you know, I had this digest and I was reading it, it was a Spider-Man one. But it was Spider-Man versus Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. <laughs> and so I just, you know, assumed, you know, Quicksilver was a villain and he probably, in this story he was. And I don't know if these were reprints of something or if these were original stories or whatever. No, no telling. Yeah. Uh, but I just remember reading this and, you know, it was Spider-Man versus Quicksilver. Yeah. And so I always kind of associated Quicksilver as a Spider-Man villain. And of course, later on, you know, as we kind of got into comics, you know, I, I learned, or I, I learned from my mistake on all that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I mean, I remember going and getting like, I remember because I, I did get into it in such a young age that it was, I had trouble trying to figure out exactly what it is I liked, yeah. you know. Yeah, I tried reading the same stuff Brian did and tried to like it too because it's what my older brother liked and then I tried finding my own stuff. It but it, it took a lot long time for me to ever really find anything that I just really gravitated towards. I mean, I did X Men, did Batman, Superman, Spider Man. I mean, I, I went through the gamut on a lot of stuff before I ever really narrowed it down to yeah. what I really liked. And there was a time period there where, you know, even though I may have been collecting you know, stuff from different, you know, from Marvel and DC. I wasn't like collecting like any of like the major titles, yeah. you know, like it, like with DC, like the, at one point, the only DC comic I was reading was young justice. Wouldn't yeah. read Batman or justice league or Superman or any of that, <laughs> but I would read young justice or with um, Marvel. I would read like uh, slingers or thunderbolts and, but I wouldn't <laughs> read like Avengers or yeah. Spider-Man or anything like that. And there was a phase that I was really big on a lot of some of the image stuff and yeah. the independent stuff too. But I mean now, but you know, now it's kind of gotten to that point where it's, I, you know, I, after all those years of search and trying to figure out, I, you know, kind of figured out, you know, what it is I really enjoy reading and the characters I enjoyed the most. Yeah. What are y'all reading these days? Um, I've kind of reduced myself to just uh, yeah. some of the current X-Men titles, and I still really love Saga from Image. Yeah. Um, That's a great book. I like uh, any of the um, Mark Millar, Miller, or however you say his name. Yeah. I like pretty much anything he puts out because a lot of it is they're short miniseries yeah. or, you know, pre-concise, and they're always really good stories. And the things like that, I really enjoyed the, the Jupiter's Saga that he's done, the... Uh, the Starlight, which was kind of uh, his take on Flash Gordon. That one was really cool. Oh, yeah. uh, what I read of Huck was really good. I didn't get a chance to finish that one yet, um, but I enjoyed that one. Which is funny because like, I don't like Kick-Ass at all. Yeah. Like, I didn't like the movie that much. Yeah. I didn't like the comics. I've tried. To, I've read all three of them, whatever, however many series he did of them. Yeah. And it's... I guess I like the idea behind it, but I didn't really like the execution of the whole yeah. thing. But one of my all-time favorite stories is his Wanted story. Yeah. I think it's fantastic, and unfortunately, the movie didn't do it justice whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm reading now. I'm just I've kind of backed off a little bit. Uh, you know, not working at the store and, yeah. and doing the, some of the stuff that's been going on with me has kind of kept me out of the comics a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I. 
I'm not going to do like I've done in the past and just get out of them completely. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of to the point where it's it's one of my things and done that because I've come and I've gone in and out of comics several times. Yeah. The time and a lot of it's due to money, not having enough money to pay for them. Yeah. So now I just figure, well, I'll still pay for a few. I just won't get as many as I have been getting. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Like I've I've cut down quite a bit. You saw you've seen my pull list. <laughs> yeah, it's almost just like, does he just get one of everything that comes in? <laughs> and then they would just pile up. Well, like, to be fair, I would also, oh, Freddie needs to read this. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I thought you'd like this one. I was like, oh, yeah, I would like it. <laughs> you know me so well. <laughs> yeah. like, and my thing was, I mean, plus one thing, it's expensive. I mean, because the price point is ridiculous. I don't even think it's like with inflation or anything that it's that it's no, at a point where just, it should be. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. I've, I've come to a point, and it's probably not a good thing to say when we have a, a podcast where it's just like i don't really reread them i mean i'll, right. I'll buy them i'll read it and i close that last i close the cover and i'm like i'm probably never going to look at this again mm-hmm. and then it's just going to be in a box in my room or somewhere in the house just collecting space <coughs> and i won't be able to give it away at this at some point because <laughs> you know it's not going to be worth anything so i'm just like i'm just going to keep it down to you know stuff that i i know i'll want to get which is like you know batman uh, Detective, which I think New Fifty or not New, uh, Rebirth, the Rebirth and Detective is a, is a better Batman book than wow. the solo Batman. Book. I read like the first six or seven issues of that, yeah. and I really liked it. Unfortunately, I didn't keep up with it, but yeah. I really liked what they were doing yeah, with it. That's a great book, and I'm not really big on. I'm cool with Batman being on a team if it's the Justice League. I don't like a Bat Family team. That book is really well done, and he's kind of—I mean, he's in it, but he lets Batwoman pretty much take yeah. take control of the show, and he's pretty much just like, you know, I'm the money man. Which is kind of funny because she kind of took over Detective before they had yeah. uh, the New Fifty Two. <coughs> she was kind of the main character in the Detective books, yeah. uh, and that's to me what Detective Comics was always kind of about is. Not necessarily the same character throughout the book all. At least, yeah. you know, I, I like the idea of them switching out characters from time to time because it's detective comics. It's not, yeah. You know. But, yeah, have, like, well, the question, he's a detective? Martian yeah. Manhunter, he's a detective? <laughs> well, and it's the same thing, like, with action comics being strictly a Superman title. Right. I mean, yeah. you could, there's so many other characters you could put in there also, you know. Yeah. But I was really like that because, like, the, when they were doing the rebirth, they were having, uh, what's his name, is it Tom King? The mm-hmm. guy that's writing it, yes. who was like a CIA operative before he became a comic book writer, like not even like a, a desk jockey, like he was like yeah. an infield operative. It was like finally, I was like, oh, we're gonna get. Not that I don't like Scott Snyder, but I mean, it's like this guy, like he's gonna get Batman, like he's gonna put all these action things in there and make him be a detective. And he shows up and he's like teaming up with like super powered individuals. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, Detective Batman. I'm reading the was it Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man that just came out. I'm, sorry, I'm picking that up, which I'm like an issue behind because I got so used to DC putting out two books a month. That <laughs> it's hard for me to go to Marvel. Like, what? I gotta wait another month. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I was doing Superman. Uh, I like it. I just st- I didn't. Uh, they started screwing up that thing because I like the fact that they brought in you know our Superman from mm-hmm. the the universe that we like. And they killed off the new 52 Superman. I was like, good. Now bring in a good Superman. And then they, <laughs> they started messing with that. I was like, oh, we're going to mesh them together. Oh, and, no. Yeah. So <laughs> the new 52 and our old Superman. Uh, and oh, in the lowest lanes. Also. What did you do? Snort up his ashes? I didn't even read that storyline like, when I heard that's what was going to happen. Because even the lowest lanes, like the new 52 lowest lane and the one from our Earth, merged together. Oh, really? To you know, create one being that was supposed to be the being that they were supposed to be all along. Uh-huh. So that way their son has parents because they couldn't let it be the new 52 
Lois and Clark as oh, 20-year-olds with, like, a 10-year-old. <laughs> so they're, they're younger versions of themselves, but they have the brains of our versions. Oh, no. They, yeah. Wow, they kind of messed that up a yeah. lot, didn't they? So I, just, I skipped that storyline. That way, when I pick it up, I'm just like, oh, it's still my Superman. <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing. <laughs> with, his, with his closer to the costume that I like costume. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I haven't really picked that one up. Just Batman, Detective, uh, Spider-Man, uh, the whatever Captain America is a shield agent thing, which I'm hoping, even though I don't want to finish it, I'm still getting it just because I've got that collector's mentality. And I'm just like, it's going to go up on eBay anyway. Right. I'll sell them for whatever I can get for them. What else am I getting? Justice League, all of the whatever Justice League books that come out I like. With Tom Hitch, the Tom Hitch that's writing and drawing the JLA one. Oh, uh, Brian Hitch. Brian Hitch. Which that's a real weird testament to a guy that draws and writes because you're just like, I think the story's going to suffer, but he's been doing pretty good. I, he I love his he came along with that same group uh, doing stuff with Alan Davis because he used to mm-hmm. uh, work under Alan Davis and things yeah. like that where the, the British guys, at least I think Brian Hitch is a British guy. Uh-huh. Uh, I know Alan Davis is, but they would write and draw their stories, yeah. you know. Well, he started because he was start. He was starting to hit that deadline thing when uh-huh. he was doing the new Fifty Two JLA. Yeah, where it was just like we're gonna relaunch Rebirth, and you're not done with your storyline yet, so we're gonna have to cut your story short. Which I still think he finished it. Probably not in the. He probably had to cut some issues to get it to finish, but he's still working on the book. So I like that. And then another Batman led Justice League team, which I uh, should just call it the Outsiders, because <laughs> he's already got Detective, and now he's got this other Justice. Oh, the Justice League of America. <laughs> led by Batman, and they're in their Happy Harbor uh, cave headquarters, which I like. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so pretty much I'm only getting DC books with the with just the Spider Man and then the uh, Astonishing X Men, which I got I got for free it seems, but I guess I'll start picking those up. Now I'm behind. I I saw that the DC Metal came out. Oh yeah. What did, did, did you pick it up? Have um, you read it? I've what, got them. What is there? What are they kind of doing with that one? I've got the I get I got the first one, the Forge, and the other one that came out uh, last week or two weeks ago. I mean, it's essential. I mean, I haven't read the two newest issues, uh, and I think is it ne- next month is when the actual miniseries comes out. These are just two build up. Uh, and then like the regular, like whatever monthly miniseries is about to come out. But it's essentially dealing with the different metals of the, of the DC universe, like Nth Metal, the Green Lantern, Ring Metal. Oh, okay. The, the thing that Scott Snyder introduced back in New 52 number one, or that Court of Owls storyline with the, the metal that's in their teeth that keeps the owl, the, the talons alive. Right. That's a special type of metal. Uh, and like a bunch of other things, which is like, it, it's really weird when you think about it. It's like, how many medals are in the DC universe? Right. And he's like, holy crap, there's a lot. And it's, it, and he says that it's something that he's been putting in the place since then, which it actually looks like he actually had a plan. Right. Um, uh, and it's, and again, I've only read the, the first introduction, uh, storyline, uh, where it had the, the cover that had like the big Batman statue. Uh-huh. On there, and it's. I have to wait for the trade on that one. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds interesting, but I'm not sure I want to get the single issues. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the price point is ridiculous. Oh, of because, course, you know, because it, it's all variant covers, and they're all yeah. There's not like a, lined. <laughs> there's not a single just like regular paper cover. LED cover <laughs> with with yeah. uh, refracting technology, yeah. and it, it ties into a lot of stuff that has been brought up, even in the new Fifty Two, where like. Uh, in the Dark Side War storyline, when the JLA became the New Gods, when mm. Dark Side got killed and uh, Batman became Metron, right? 
So he he knew the answer to every question he could ask himself. So the question he asked himself is, "Who is the Joker?" Right. It turned out there was three Jokers. Mm-hmm, yeah. And this is being the that that first issue of the Metal series tied into that a little bit. Where it, <laughs> I don't know if you guys want me to spoil this for you, but no, like, it's cool. <laughs> like Batman has a Joker trapped in the Batcave in a in a deep deep dark dank dungeon of the Batcave. He has a Joker trapped in there for who knows how long he's had him in there. <laughs> And it, it's the what's the not not a not the Robin guy the the African American kid that he's been teaming oh, up with uh, that was, uh, Duke yeah Duke yeah Duke and Hal Jordan uh, Hal Jordan came to the cave like looking for a fight with Batman for something and he found Duke and they had like they duked it out in the <laughs> Batcave, cave and uh, they kept hearing something in the cave that they were they started investigating him and it was just the, a voice that was talking to him in the cave and telling him to come find him. And so they, they, you know, set their differences aside and started going down this like dark tunnel of the cave and came across a wall and they opened the wall and found out there was like a, like a glass, like, you know, Magneto X-Men <laughs> cage in there. And there's a Joker in there and he, he had been the one talking to him the whole time trying to get them down there. And meanwhile, like Batman's over at the Fortress of Solitude, uh, you know, he, he turned out that, you know, he asked, he had asked Superman sometime in the past. Uh, he's like, you know, I, I asked you if I could have a part of your uh, fortress to keep something, uh, keep something hidden down here that's lead lined, and you know, and not, don't ask me any questions about it. But you know, I just need it to be hidden. And then whatever's happening in this metal storyline, he needs to get access to whatever's in in this lead lined box, this giant box that he has. And there's somebody with him. I can't remember who the character is that that's joining him on this. Uh, but anyway, so he goes down to this vault that he has in the Fortress of Solitude and opens it up. And it's a character that's been missing since our DC universe turned into the New 52. Because I don't think he ever showed up in New 52. It's just a big round egg that's painted like Plastic Man. Oh. Yeah, like Batman had Plastic Man. Yeah, they never <laughs> like, did. <laughs> he has him trapped under the Fortress of Weird. Solitude. And I remember in the old, uh, I don't know if Grant Morrison was on JLA at that time, back in the old universe where he had mentioned that Plastic Man is the strongest character in the universe, uh, and he just doesn't know it. Uh, he was like, yeah, he's like the most powerful, he's the most powerful man in the universe. Wow. That's, so whatever's that's leading kind of crazy. Yeah. And there was like a, a third storyline, but I can't remember what it was. I huh. just read it once. But yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see where, where this, because it's supposed to answer a lot of these questions of like, well, what, you know, what brought the rebirth together, and, you know, all the Watchmen stuff. Yeah. And of course, there's the Jeff Johns doing the, uh, what's his miniseries going to be? Where it's Superman versus oh, Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan, yeah, I don't know what it's uh, called. Doomsday Clock, Clock or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Which that I'm excited for because I love Jeff Johns. That dude is awesome. Yeah, there's just a lot going on in comics yeah. in general. There's so many good things. Uh, you know, and like I said, even the independent companies have had so many good stuff, you know. The the Hellboy and what they do over at Dark Horse has been great. Um, you know, uh Dark uh Dan Sakai, uh you know, have a kind of a resurgence of popularity with Usagi Ojimbo for, mm. and I guess just because he's going to be in the, the Ninja Turtles cartoon on Nickelodeon. Yeah. You know, it just seems like all of a sudden he's getting a lot of publicity and press and yeah. things like that. And the, uh, you know, The Walking Dead's still going pretty strong, but I've heard that the, uh, what's his name's getting ready, Kirkman's getting ready to end that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I, Comics is a, a very neat and ever-changing uh, medium, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's very fluid, and it's, it's always interesting to see the ebbs and flows. And, you know, I, even if it's a, 
not great story. If it's got characters I like in it, I'll still read it. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but I, I, I guess if we had, if the stories were always good, we wouldn't have anything to complain about. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm now more going to just back issues because I've decided because since I don't buy a ton of new uh, new comics uh-huh. anymore, I've decided like I want to do I want to own every issue of Batman from the month I was born, November 1976, up until the present. And I was like, that's what I'll there you go. That's good. Just try to find have to own every issue of a character that I love. Mm-hmm. And I was like, crap, that means I got to do all that. Like after the uh, Bane storyline where it like got really shitty, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fine, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way, you know, I'm, I'm kind of holding off on, on the X-Men stuff and everything. I'm trying to finish up the series that I have yeah. gotten started. You know, I'm, uh, X-Factor is almost completely complete. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, my New Mutants is is complete. You know, I don't, I mean, I have reprints of the key issues because yeah. I sold the key issues, you know, and they started doing reprints of them. So, okay, that's yeah. fine with me. Um, it's not a huge deal for me to have the high dollar issue or whatever. Uh, and I'd like to finish up, you know, the X-Men run and, and the uncanny X-Men run mm-hmm. and focus on those and then wait for the newer stuff to become back issues yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and go back and pick them up then, you know, <laughs> find them when they're selling them for, you know, trying to blow out for a quarter a piece or something like that. I'm be, I'm going to be a really cheap comic book guy for a little while. <laughs> But yeah, I, it's, it's a great industry. I love it. I love, I love everything about it, the good and the bad. It keeps things interesting and uh, I'm really excited for what's coming in the future for all the titles, you know, uh, again, I, I don't always like what they're doing, but the, the nice thing I know about comics is it's always changing, you know? And so you may not like what's going on right now, but give it a little bit, it'll change up again, you know? So I think any comics that are coming out today are going to be like classics, like right by the time we. <laughs> no, nah, yeah. I, I think you know you think I that, mean, that bubbles burst. There's no. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, well, I don't know because who would have ever predicted that Deadpool would have became what he is today? Yeah. You know, and I mean, this is a '90s comic where most '90s comics are can be found in a in dollar boxes and stuff, yeah. and yet first appearance of Deadpool is just ridiculous yeah. i mean it's the same thing well, with the first appearance of harley quinn or it, guardians of the galaxy guardians yeah. of the galaxy. i mean you never know what's going to be popular yeah and with the way these comic book movies are it's it's amazing what's what could catch on yeah. i mean the first appearance of squirrel girl of all characters yeah. you know and first, she hasn't even had a movie yet yeah, yeah. i mean she, in a marvel summer special yeah and in recent years, this book is what a hundred dollar book now. Right. Well, even Howard the Duck yeah. has all of a sudden shot up. You know those these these appearances of odd characters. Yeah. I you know I think some of uh, Mark Miller's stuff is once he's you see some more of his properties start hitting Netflix and things like that, yeah. you're going to start seeing some of his books go through the roof. Yeah. You know. Uh, there's just no telling. Yeah. It's so hard to predict. Well, even down the line, do you think, you know, the first appearance of Squirrel Girl is going to hold its value like 20 years from now? I, I, we don't I, know. I, I don't think, again, it depends what they end up doing yeah. with the character. Um, I don't I don't think that the book will never go back to being a dollar comic. Yeah. You know, it may bottom out at being 20 bucks or something like that, but it'll yeah. never go back. Just like Guardians of the Galaxy. It'll never go back to being 
that that uh, was it 2008 uh, 2008 number one Guardians of the Galaxy will never go back to being a comic you find in the dollar box. Yeah. Just it's never gonna happen. Yeah. You know, Deadpool was always because my when I bought my first my Deadpool first appearance it was twenty dollars. Yeah. So, but there was for a long time there that you still had to pay you know ten to twenty dollars for the first appearance of Deadpool. Yeah. Just because he was kind of a popular character with the the initial you know well, people fans and things like and that. It, it was that, but it was also at that time where they <laughs> introduced new characters that were going to be important parts to the X-Force series. And people wanted those first issue, first appearances because they expected X-Force to be the next big thing. Yeah, man, I wish that second appearance of Deadpool was going for somebody. <laughs> that one well, that's movie. funny you mentioned it because once that movie came out, all those early appearances of Deadpool yeah. started he, going up. Even the issue of Nomad where it had Deadpool on a playing card went up to like really. a $10 book. <laughs> I remember yeah. the cable, the cable and Deadpool, which was still in a fairly recent comic. It was an old comic, but uh, I was just like, that was, it was crazy how much that was going for. Yeah, anything that had Deadpool on it was. I was nuts. selling it. I was selling them. I remember my my first appearance of Spider Gwen. Yep. I was like, once I saw that one, I was like, I was like, who who wants this? Yeah. Somebody buy it off of me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I I think any character like that, they're. Their popularity is going to stay there and things like that. The ones, you know, like Silk. I like her. Yeah. She's a neat character and everything. And her first appearance has a little bit of value to it. I don't think it'll ever go down to a dollar comic, <coughs> but it'll probably bottom out at like, you know, five bucks or something. Yeah. Or almost, you know, just above cover price. You know, but unless they do something with her. Yeah. And then it could shoot back up. Yeah. But that's what everybody's looking for. They're looking at that. And you haven't had any... Well, up until probably the last two or three years, Deadpool Deadpool was the last new character created by Marvel that made it any kind of impact on the universe. Yeah. Um, or popularity within the culture. Yeah, and the only other one that you, that came close was Gambit, and even then he's leveled out. So right. He never reached that level. But Deadpool. he was a good, he was also a good, what, four or five years before? Uh, maybe like, Three or four years before Deadpool. No, maybe about a year because Gambit showed up in in ninety, and Deadpool was probably late ninety, early ninety one. Any comic coming out once a month make me <laughs> throw my times off because I figure, oh, you, you got twelve issues in the year. Oh yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, 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 it, I think about it in issues, and it's hard for me to think about the time sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, you're probably right about that. Um, so it's. You know, but now we've had characters, new characters pop up. Spider Gwen, who just immediately popular. Uh, Silk has some popularity to her. You know, uh, Miles Morales has gained a lot of popularity in in a short amount of time. I think as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's you know DC is the same way. They they've just recently had some characters that are gaining some popularity, but again, they had the same issue. They hadn't had a other than Harley Quinn, they hadn't had a major character have a popularity spike in a long yeah. time. And he, again, Harley Quinn and Deadpool, their popularity has spiked significantly just in the last five to six years. Yeah. You know, uh, and it just, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's more people discovering the comics and being a more pop culture thing or more in the face of society. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's, you know, with the accent, with all these movies and people just going and seeing these movies casually and, 
and, you know, you see them, they're like, oh, it's based off a comic, well, let me go see, you know, what this character's about, you know? There's these movies that come out that we had no idea they were comics. Yeah. You know, Valerian for one. Yeah. Unless you're into comics and things like that, you wouldn't have known. And you'd have to be deep into comics to know that was a comic before. Yeah. Uh, uh, Snowpiercer. Yeah. That was a comic book before they made a movie out of it. It's, yeah. uh, a history of violence. It's Roads of Perdition. Right. There's so many movies out there that did not realize, or people don't realize, that were based on comic yeah. books. Book of Eli, wasn't that one too? Uh, it may have been. Was it really? think so. It could be wrong. I mean, a lot, <laughs> a lot of these movies, you know, and, and we're not talking like, oh, well, American-made comics. I mean, some of these are French comics yeah, or right. from the UK or, you know, wherever, you know. So, I mean, but, you know, studios, you know, they'll, they'll just draw from so many different sources and everything. And comics are a great way of doing that. Mm-hmm. So I, you're you're going to see comics an integral part of the culture for a long, long time. Now that it's hit the the station that it is, I don't I don't think we'll ever see comics go out of the culture. No, the, probably the biggest danger to comics is whether they decide to stop doing uh, physical print mm-hmm. copies. Yeah, uh, that's the thing that scares me. That's the thing that worries me is that with all the digital media available and things like that, you know, is there ever going to be a time where comics is purely a digital media, yeah. you know, and I hope not, you know, cause I don't ever want books to be purely a digital media. Yeah. You know, I, I personally like the feel of a book in my hand over a tablet or a nook, a Kindle, whatever they are, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I'd rather have those pages and things like that. And there's just something to be said for that process. And I know it would save a lot of trees and yeah. everything like that, but I, I like having my paper products. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't really do that like space wise, like what I was saying earlier, I was like buying these comics that aren't gonna be like I'll never look at them again. Right. Like as far as like books that I want to collect, you know, I'll buy them physically. Uh but like stuff I'm just like, oh man. I was like, I sure would like to read that storyline where, you know, Spider Man, blah 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 met this person. And it's like it does Marvel has that like subscription service like mm-hmm. Netflix does now. I mean I was like, you know, for something like that I would probably go with it that way. Like I have the uh was it Comixology? Yeah, I have that, and because that's how I got like the when I did the Kickstarter for the Battle Chasers game, mm-hmm. it came with you know the Battle Chasers comic uh, in digital form. Uh, so I have that in Comicsology. Of course, I mean I have the originals also. And what was it? Oh, the uh, before that first uh, JJ Star Trek movie came out, there was that mini series that bridged next oh, generation. Yes. And, and that, and I got that in digital form because it was really cheap. Uh, because I was like, oh, it's like I always for- I forgot to buy it when it was out. I don't know if that's something I'd want to to spend oh, like the copy yeah, yeah. that I'd want to spend because they, they had it for like a dollar ninety nine for like you know trade paperback or trade digital back or whatever. Right. So I bought that and I was like, cool, this is exactly how I'd want this this particular thing is in digital form. Fair enough. I definitely get the appeal of digital. Yeah. Like I said, I hope it doesn't kill the... I don't think that it will, but... Yeah. But I, I definitely get the feel there are so many more benefits and a lot yeah. of things. And the, the the only reason to stay in a physical copy is 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 purely nostalgia reasons, yeah. to be honest. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. The space it takes up, the, the, the product or the, the, the resources it uses to make, things like that, whereas the digital is, is none of those things, yeah. you know? So I get it. <laughs> I just, I just prefer that paper copy, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. You know, it's just what I, I enjoy and I have some comics on, on digital and I've read them and 
you know, uh, uh, some friends of mine, they like to do a, uh, basically a kind of a comic book reading club, yeah. you know, and so we'll, we'll, we'll get the digitals and things like that and, and I'll read it if I don't have it or if it's boxed away or something like that, it makes it easier to get <laughs> yeah. it. So I get it, but are you guys, what do you guys label yourselves as any kind of comic company fan? Are you a DC or a Marvel or an image or Man, Archie? I, or... <laughs> I, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, I was set up Marvel all the way, yeah. but with again with the stories that are coming out, I I just enjoy a good story. Yeah. You know, um, it's it's, it's funny. It's it kind of like with my video games. You know, there's there's so many video games out there, but I enjoy the ones that have a story and a narrative. Yeah. You know, and those are the ones I like to play. You know, and if it's got a good story, I'm interested yeah. in it, and that's that's the way comics been been, and that's the also the biggest problem for me anyway is. Yeah. There's so many good stories. I just, I, it's impossible to read them all. Yeah. I'm an impact comic guy. <laughs> Whatever happened to them. <laughs> they get absorbed by somebody, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, no, that's Archie, Dark Circle. Yeah, Dark Circle. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, but they're not the same. I love that. Oh, God, I loved Impact so much. That was, that was a fun That was a fun company. Well, they were, DC had them, right? Mm-hmm. When Impact came out. God, yeah, man, I love, I love that. Anyway, that's Fred's nostalgia trip. <laughs> All right, guys, cool. we'll uh, take a little break and we'll come back and uh, check out some toys. Play with some toys. I'll blow this house in smithereens. I'm on. Try to get up there in time, Spider-Man. Watch me cut my web, Goblin. Watch yourself fall, Silk Slinger. Can't stop the bombs in time. If I don't get you webhead, my diagnosis will. Holy Hannah. And you're running out of fluid. Is this more action than even Spider-Man can handle? Spider-Man, a video game from Parker Brothers, the ones to beat. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, check out some of these uh, figures. What we're, we're looking at is um, the Boss Fight Petruvian Hacks um, Series 1. Series 1, but, way, but from various different waves. We've right. got figures from waves 1 through 7 here. Uh, y'all probably remember one of our earlier podcasts. We actually reviewed a couple of some of the earlier figures that came out. But uh, here we've got several more figures yeah, to check out. And... <laughs> Even got some uh, exclusives, or some exclusive figures that were only available online or through some specialty shops. And uh, all these are based in uh, Greek mythology, uh, and then there's some uh, unique characters that they've built as part of their ongoing storyline that uh, the Boss Fight Studios is doing. Um, They're pretty neat. There's a lot of uh, Gorgons and uh, Spartan or Amazon uh, type characters. You got that arrows of armor and shields and swords and things like that. It's, uh, it's really neat. Uh, the Gorgons kind of come in different colors. Um, you got some uh, like undead warriors and uh, things like that. Uh, skeletons. Skeletons, yes. You got the... That's a crazy mold for the skeletons. I like that. <laughs> it's pretty neat. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's, it's a fully mobile skeleton i mean it's got all of the same almost all the same articulation as the regular figures do um the knees you know ankles the hands uh elbows and shoulders and at the waist uh they've actually probably got i guess one more bit of articulation the jaw actually moves up and down on the skeleton so that's pretty cool and then all the armor 
and swords and weapons are all interchangeable and can fit on the various figures and stuff like that. And what Boss Fight kind of prides himself in is being um, toys for for customizers and that their toys are interchangeable and you can mix and match them with other toy lines and 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 do things with them and use them. And uh, you've seen the, the the toy customizers out there just uh, had a field day with what uh, Boss Fight has had to offer so far with their stuff. Don't get discount the fact that it's these figures are very easily easy to disassemble and reassemble. Yeah. Uh, their hack system is, I mean, meant specifically for that for that purpose. Uh, there's, I mean, it's with these figures gone are the days of having to, you know, pry and cut <laughs> and just tear tear figures apart just to split torsos or to get things off. No, everything just snaps off and on very easily. Uh, why don't you go through all the, the ones we have sitting here, Chase, just, uh, just to give the names off so that oh, people have a reference. Sure. Um, and we've got several figures here. We have uh, we have a, a Medusa figure. We also have uh, uh, Medusa's sister, Stathino. Yes, Stathino. We have a Amazon warrior. We have a a uh, River Sticks Guardian. We have a Penthesilla, who's the Amazon Queen. I may have just slaughtered that name. But <laughs> we also have a Leonidas figure from, you know, King of the Spartans. Uh, we have a, an Achilles figure. We have a Cursed Skeleton. Achilles doesn't look like Brad Pitt. I was about to no. say. I got excited. I was oh, whoa. I could get excited for Brad Pitt. Is what Who you doesn't? Hey, did you see Troy? <laughs> uh, we we also have a Berserker Gorgon, which is basically a male Gorgon figure. We have we a the Gorgon face. <laughs> <laughs> we have a warrior skeleton. Name that movie. <laughs> I was thinking of the, on the Ninja Turtles cartoon that was their Godzilla was Gorgonzola. Oh yeah. <laughs> We also have some uh, exclusive figures here, that I, as I was mentioning earlier. The first exclusive is a uh, Undead Warrior versus a Ringneck Gorgon. We also have a, a Celestial Medusa versus Celestial Perseus. And oh, okay. we have a, a Talos figure. And the most, and this is the newest uh, exclusive they have released. It's, it's called an Attilus Warrior, and it was a Kokomo Toys exclusive. Can I see the skeleton figure? I'm really curious. At that. Wow, man, that is crazy. Isn't that neat? That is really cool. What's kind of neat, they have uh, these little <laughs> uh, clear things yeah. that allow him to stand on the base. Oh, yeah. But they also have the little clear things that go under the armor they, they like clip on the bone of the the leg armor yeah. and on the uh uh shoulder or the arm uh, arms yeah. for arm armor that is a spacer so that the just doesn't look loose on there it actually allows the armor to kind of float in place oh yeah uh so that's it's pretty cool it's a pretty neat idea that they came up with on this and it's one thing i love about the boss fight stuff is they're incredibly well thought out um in their design and their function and everything. And they have some of the most incredible paint apps for yeah. mass produced figures I've ever seen. Uh, they're just really, you know, you've got these Gorgons who have these incredibly uh, 
<laughs> long torsos, uh, snake bodies that have all these scales on them. And some of the paint apps are just incredible on that. I mean, they've got the patterning for snakes on the backs of these yeah. torsos or uh, the snake bodies. Um, you know, even to the point of the shading on the weapons and uh, things like that. It's, you know, it's not just, oh, we've got a knife. We'll just make it all the same color. No, the, the handle's painted brown where the leather straps is. The rest of it's painted metal or, you know, things like that. Not always true of all the stuff, but... They've got, uh, you know, some really incredible, incredible pieces. And these figures, they, I mean, they come with lots of accessories. Uh, most figures come with shields or so, some different types of swords or whatever. And then, as I said, the, uh, the, all the armor pieces, they just they come off very easily. I mean, no, there's no armor pieces that are molded onto the figures. They just, yeah. they just all come off. And it, like I said, they're very interchangeable. And uh, because of that function with their fig with their line, uh, Boss Fight has gone out of their way to make uh, to also make uh, accessory packs with different color accessories, and also even uh, blank figures and uh, skeleton uh, additional skeletons that you can like all come in different colors, and you can you know mix them and match them with the different armors and everything. Is it a decent price point on these? Uh, well, since uh, since they are the toy line was a Kickstarter, and so uh, and you can only you can only get them online now. Yeah, uh, there. Uh, from what I understand, you I mean you can some stores can order them through Diamond Direct, but whether anyone has done that, I don't know. But uh, about average, the figures are about twenty five bucks a piece. Uh, but considering what all you get, yeah. I, I think it's a it's a very fair price, uh, and uh, and with the line just continuing to grow. As a matter of fact, they just released a a, a new series uh, for hacks, but it's a it's a fantasy based line, you know, like knights and orcs and fairies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And uh, so we'll be seeing some more of those coming in the you know coming months. And they've also uh, have uh, uh, gotten the licensing from uh, Neil Adams to do figures based off of Bucky O'Hare. And those those figures look they're pretty cool. <laughs> you know how many are going to be in that? I've only seen like two oh, there's figures. Three figures so far that we've three. seen. There's well, actually, there's five, but you know, yeah, well, counting the two repaints, there's mm-hmm. five total that oh, yeah. we know of. But I'm sure with Neil and everything, they'll probably get all the figures out or all the main characters from the. Bucky O'Hare comic out, yeah. uh, which will be pretty cool because they're they're really kind of unique looking figures and it's fun, neat and Boss Fight's got an incredible thing going on. Yeah. They've got some more stuff planned in the future. We've seen some future designs of some more futuristic looking figures, you know, yeah. guys in in uh, you know space type armor things like that. And they're even kind of crossing over some of these characters from the the Greek line into that where they're have like space armor on oh, really? and stuff like that. Yeah. Because uh, their whole part of their story arc is uh, about time travel and mm-hmm. you know things like that and through the ages stuff. So you'll see a space Leonidas or something <laughs> like that. You know, like Space He Man. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully cooler. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, these these are really neat figures. If you're a fan of three and three quarter stuff and you know the the what's out there in the regular stores isn't quite um, fulfilling your collector vibe or whatever this is definitely a good route to go there's a couple other companies that are doing their own custom figures too 
uh, things like that. There's some really neat three three quarter stuff on Kickstarter at the moment, yeah. uh, or about to be on Kickstarter, or have been on Kickstarter. Uh, there's cowboy figures. There's uh, mm-hmm. some military, very military esque figures um, out there. So th- there's some options out there because there's not many options in the toy aisle anymore at nope. Target, Walmart, or even Toys R Us for the three and three quarter, unless you just really like Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> With yeah. no articulation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my personal opinion, regardless of what the scale is, I, I genuinely believe these are some of the best made figures oh, on yeah. the market today. Uh, just just a sheer amount of articulation and the detail. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And Let's be honest. Who does? Who who hasn't ever wanted like Greek figures to play with at some <laughs> point, you know? And I think that's another selling point because it's not the same old things we've seen before. Yeah. You know, and again with them doing a fantasy line, which there hasn't been any real fantasy figures mass market since really since the Lord of the Rings stuff. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely check these check Boss Fight out. And, uh, you know, if you're interested, you know, definitely order some of the figures from them. They've still had plenty of figures in stock. And, you know, yeah, I personally, I don't think any any of y'all will be disappointed. Cool. I have to check them out. I may do that after I go after I go and pick up my uh, Guardians, of, Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> no, wait, because now they're going to think I waited a month to get it. <laughs> Since that was in the last episode. And then I'll go online and order some of these figures. <laughs> Well, we'll take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we've got the Fanboy 5. They're coming from all corners of the universe to a Burger King near you. The Superpowers Cup Holders. Only Burger King puts them under your child's command. When they buy a soft drink, they can get a Superpowers Cup Holder to play with for just $1.24. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Darkseid. $1.24 each. Collect all four while you can, because the Superpowers team is headed for other galaxies. All right, we're back. Uh, had to take some really cool pictures of the toys and... Uh... Watch some YouTube videos, uh, <laughs> you know, find out why, uh, why uh, Yondo is so cool. <laughs> uh, uh, so this is the part where we do our uh, Fanboy 5, and uh, this time we're doing uh, our favorite single issues. And, you know, this is uh, issues of comics, I guess I should say. <laughs> uh, this is kind of a list of maybe things, you know, for me it was just kind of prominent issues that I think or, good, and this is one of those things where, you know, we're not all going to be in agreement for some of this stuff. And, but these, these are the issues that were prominently affected me. In some cases, they were issues that made me get back into comics after being out for a while. Uh, things like that. And, uh, I, I've got two that I'll call honorable mentions, but they're, <laughs> they're more of a story than just a single issue or a kind of a theme in there. But, uh, yeah, uh, what about you guys? What is, uh, how did you come up with your lists? Or? Well, I tried to do it uh, with, you know, like whatever issue brought me back into comics during those times that I, I got out, and then I couldn't come up with five. <laughs> but as, as I was trying to research it, I came across other comics where I was just like, you know what, I really like that. Like, yeah, I guess stuff that was just like rereadable to me, or even as a kid, I would just, even if I didn't read it, it as just something that I just looked at a lot, either because right. of the artwork or anything like that. 
But yeah, but just stuff, you know, went along those lines, like stuff that I always go back to, uh, uh-huh. just to kind yeah. of reread or relook at. This was a hard list for me. Yeah. Was finding, cause I'm more of a story that, arc guy. You came you know? up with the list too, I think. <laughs> no, it, I think I wanted to do story arcs. Oh, did you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, this was a hard list for me. Um, all right. Uh, you want to go first since you have honorable mention. I've got some honorable. Does anybody else have honorable mention? I should have one honorable mention. All right. Um, I'll do. Uh, why don't you do yours first, and then I'll do mine because I did my stuff first last night. Uh, well, for me, as far as choosing this list, it was stuff that you know that kind of made an impact as far as you know whether fond memories or just something that just kind of. There's something that happened in the comic that reminded me why I liked the series or the comic or just something that just really, you know, just it just really kind of affected me in a way that made me, you know, realize just how great this medium is. Yeah. Um, but my honorable mention is uh, Web of Spider-Man number one. <laughs> uh, this was actually the first comic book I ever owned. Uh, and it was a gift for me from my cousin. And... Uh, I just I just remember this comic so vividly, and with uh, Spider Man in his black in the black symbiote costume perched on top of the gargo- uh, cup of a gargoyle, and uh, mm. you know you know going back and looking through it years later and realizing you know this was the issue that was really started that's kind of started the process of the creation of Venom because this was the issue where they used the uh, and it became a famous scene in the Spider and in Spider-Man Three with the church bells oh, banging yeah. and you know forcing the symbiote off of uh, off of Spider-Man and everything and uh, it just again it was just it was that first comic I ever owned at least superhero comic that I ever owned uh, just to say just that visual of that cover just it has always stuck with me. Cool. I dug that. Actually, I have a, an, an honorable mention okay. that I'm going to go ahead and throw in there. Uh, mine was Amazing Spider-Man 351, which is uh, the first uh, Mark Bagley uh, issue after Eric Larson left, and that's the, the one with the uh, what is it where they were fighting the triple-headed Sentinel, mm-hmm. him, and, him and Nova. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I just like that one because I, I really love Mark's style of Spider-Man. Uh, I think we all do yeah. here. Yeah, because yeah. it, it, it was hard. Because he was, you know, he was taken over for, you know, Eric Larson, and then like Todd McFarlane was doing his run on just the, the Spider-Man title, right? That everybody was just like, oh, that's definitive. And but I mean, I followed Mark from New Warriors, and I loved his work on that. Mm-hmm. His artwork is just perfect for like for comic. It is a comic book art. It, it really is. I did. Uh, we I think we all like you said all agree that you know Mark Bagley has just got this amazing style that just transcends a lot, and it to me is is one of the few artists who captures comic book art almost perfectly. Yeah. And, you know, despite what people may think, like I said, you know, people think Todd McFarlane's the definitive Spider-Man artist or John Ramada Sr. or who, or all the various Spider-Man artists. But I don't think anyone ever had the run on Spider-Man that Bagley did. Yeah. And the fact that to even to this day, some of his imagery is still used for various promotional yeah. uses and everything. Yeah. So I mean, it, if it, whether he's a definitive Spider-Man artist or not, he's definitely in the top five. Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So my honorable mentions are kind of um, uh, the first one. I just think this is a fantastic story. And if you haven't read it, and it's 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 not really one comic. It's it is a it is a comic story, but it's a ten issue run. 
and it's uh, The Wake by Scott Snyder and the artist is uh, uh, Sean Murphy. And it is just one of the best stories I have read in a long time from beginning to end. Uh, it's got some nice twists and turns in it. I, after reading the first issue, I thought they need to make a movie of this comic. Yeah. And I hope that they do at some point because it is absolutely fantastic. Um, the next, the next thing I have is the X-Men baseball issues. When the mm-hmm. X-Men play baseball in the comic, uh, and there's about five of them that I could remember. Um, and I always enjoyed this because it wasn't often that you saw the superheroes as, I guess, normal people, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's odd to say about X-Men comics yeah. because that's kind of what they thought to be is to be accepted as just same as everybody else, yeah. you know, things like this. But this is where it showcased that, hey, these were just normal people that they, through their trials and tribulations, have become a family and they would play a family game of baseball, you know, and it's just fantastic. And there may be a few more issues in this, but the, what I had was uh, X-Men issue number 110, the X-Men annual number seven. Uh, uh, and those are uncanny X-Men. Uh, and then also uh, 201, 325, and 444 were the ones that I could remember that had baseball or their, the core story was about baseball yeah. in there. And it was usually, you know, catching up with what had been going on in stories before this and maybe leading up to some things that were going to come in the future. But it was just almost kind of like a downtime for comics. Like if you'd had a, a heck of a long story arc, it was almost like a breather, yeah. you know. And I just I just really like that. And I know some other comics have done similar things in the past, but the ones that I remember the most are the X-Men playing baseball. Yeah. I, I enjoy scenes like that in comics, yeah. especially when they did a whole comic where it's just yeah. them playing baseball. Um, it was it was always a fun breather yeah. for me, you know. <laughs> All right, uh, Freddie, you want to start yes. with our? Oh uh, yeah, my number five, and I just switched it uh, while we were doing our honorable mentions. I switched a couple around. So my number five is actually Spawn number one from uh, 1992, writer artist Todd McFarlane. Uh, and that was like a big one. That that's when the the boom took off, and then a few years later died for the comics. Uh, but that was cool because there was such a big lead up to that. Was Spawn the first one that Image released, or was it no, Savage uh, Dragon? No, Youngblood. Oh, Youngblood. Young yeah, okay. Youngblood number one was the first was one. Number one was the first one. But Spawn number one is so cool because I mean, Curse Tom McFarlane is like a leader in advancing uh, comics in terms of like technology because it was. I'm not sure all of Image was doing it, but I'm probably at his behest. As far as like digital uh, coloring, coloring and yeah. like the the logo work and stuff like that, and the, they were using higher quality paper. Yeah, at yeah. that time, because everybody was, was using like, newsprint at that time. Yeah. Both Marvel and DC were mm-hmm. using newsprint. Now, Dark Horse might have been using some different quali- higher yeah. quality paper. I can't remember if they started using higher quality paper before Image did, yeah. but I remember thinking that Image. They're yeah. using better I mean, paper. Were, yeah, I mean, it felt like it was like, wow, this is a quality book. And I, mean, yeah. I think remember the cover price. I thought when I looked at it last night it was like a dollar ninety five or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which really like you know back then you're just like, holy cow, image, jeez. And then the, and then the like you, coupons you, for the zero issue. Oh yeah, yeah. And like today is like, when was the last time you ever saw a dollar ninety five comic? for something that was, yeah, uh, for for a quality book, and it, it was just. It was awesome for a character that's essentially the look of like Spider-Man and Batman <laughs> with the crazy K. But he was doing like the uh, Frank Miller like news, you know, TV heads talking for like panels yeah. and panels. And it was just a really awesome story. It was like because to me it was like the first like 
like grown up comic book I was reading because the stuff he was dealing with in in, in that book, uh, like beyond issue number one, was just like you're dealing with, like you know he's you know, very uh, violent. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely violent. Like you know, it's the the uh, agent of the devil, and you know he's trying to get his life back together, and he turns into African American guy, but he comes back when he can change form. He's a white guy. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so like Spawn number one, I chose just because like that was the, the beginning of an era in comics for me anyway. For my number five was uh, the 1990 Green Lantern uh, number 48, the first part of the Emerald Twilight. Mm. Uh, to me, this was just a really powerful comic because you see, you know, how Jordan kind of going crazy, yeah. you know, and Coast City yeah. had just had been obliterated and he tries to recreate city with his ring and it kind yeah. of shows you the true willpower of of Hal Jordan that he's able to pretty much recreate the entire city yeah. uh, with just the ring it doesn't last long and it's not a, a real thing uh, and everything and he realizes that but it it was just such an impactful issue to me just because the idea of willpower and the whole Green Lantern ring thing and that it runs off willpower has always been kind of an intriguing thing to me and to see that he had so much strength of will and so much passion mm-hmm. for what he wanted that he could create an entire city. It was just, it was amazing yeah. to me. And that's, I, that, it was just a really kind of poignant moment in comics for me. Yeah. Uh, really, but if you sit there and you think about it, you know, like the backstory leading up to the issue with, you know, the destruction of Coast City and the reign of the Superman story, you know, you, you, you see the, uh, you fit, if you read it, you could feel the pain and anguish that he's dealing with having lost everything and everyone he knew in his home sure. sound and everything like that. So, and, and it led into, you know, and it led into a kind of a drastic moment. I mean, even though something stuff like this was common at the time where they were replacing heroes with other characters and everything, you know, whether temporary or permanent, they went the extra mile with this story because this is a, this was the start of the story that led to him becoming Parallax. Right. In which, you know, as time went on, you know, you know, with the whole, you know, anyone who follows Green Lantern knows the story of Parallax and the yellow energy and all that other stuff. And I mean, this was really the starting point of that. Right. Well, for me, my number five is uh, uh, X-Men number one from uh, 1990. We've talked about this issue so much, uh, but... To me, it, it's an issue that kind of defined an era. Uh, you know, as someone who grew up, you know, in the 80s and into the 90s, you know, you know, watching the X-Men 90s cartoon and buying the toys and everything, this was the comic that kind of started that because it influenced that look. Yeah. You know, for, I mean, this comic influenced, was the beginning of the way the X-Men were going to be perceived throughout, at least throughout the 90s. Yeah. And... Uh, and you could just tell, I mean, this was the first issue where, you know, the original X-Men finally reunited with Professor X and came back as X-Men. And you saw the return of Magneto as a villain. And it just, it was just such a big story. And, with, you know, and then it, with the multiple, you know, covers and even the Gatefold cover and it being written by Claremont and Jim Lee doing the art, you could, you could definitely feel that it was the start of a new era yeah. in comics. And he, and I think even to this day, uh, X-Men number one is still the highest selling, one of the highest selling comics of all time, if yeah. not the highest selling. Yeah, uh, a big run. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, it just, it, you could just definitely te- feel that this was a very epic moment in X-Men history. Yeah. 
Okay, my number four is a character who I probably own two issues of their comic. For some reason, it, is a, it makes it to my top five list. Is uh, Incredible Hulk number 272, the weird song of the Wendigo. It's uh, for all you all Guardians fans, second appearance of Rocket because he's in a flashback from the previous issue of 271, uh-huh. where the Hulk makes it back to Earth. He lands in the Canadian wilderness. And he has Bruce Banner after coming back from the space adventure, and he's remembering a talking raccoon, wondering if he ever actually met that that thing. Uh, written by uh, Bill Mantlo and artist uh, Sal Buscema, who's really awesome. That, his his work is really good. But it's essentially like Hulk lands in the wilderness. He's trying to find a place to to stay. He comes across a cabin that has like these uh, dead bodies lying around, and as he's trying to run away from the cabin, the Wendigo's there and attacks him and uh you know while that's happening sasquatch is in another part of canada actually trying to track wendigo down uh because they found like a mutilated camper and of course the whole thing with the wendigo is like you know if there's cannibalism in canada the person that cannibalized the person will be cursed with the wendigo uh thing so he's he eventually tracks down the the hulk and uh, wendigo fighting each other so hulk and sasquatch team up to uh beat the wendigo and it's just one of those things where uh, a comic that I always went back to as a child just because the artwork is so amazing. Uh, it's probably like the thing that got me into like really being into like cryptids and stuff like that, like, you know, loving Bigfoot and like right. werewolves and stuff like that. Uh, and it has one really awesome scene uh, at the end when they finally take down the Wendigo is they both uh, Sasquatch and Holt both uh, knock down these two giant trees and they get the Wendigo between them both, and they just ram the Wendigo with the uh, the trees and, like, knock him out, and he reverts back to his human form. And that's when the Hulk realizes, he's like, he's like I really like, uh, you know, causing damage and losing control. I think I'll keep it up. And if I, I can't remember how the issue ends, but I think it's just, like, the Hulk walking away from the reader in the snow and Sasquatch, like, looking over his shoulder. And I think it was just a one-shot storyline. <laughs> yeah, probably. But I really like his artwork is just spectacular. That that fight scene, I mean, for the 80s is a really good, uh, I mean, it's almost like a storyboard for a movie, the way that that artwork is, is, is put out. It's like you're looking at, you're watching a movie on, on paper. But yeah, so that's my, my number four is a really cool book that I just like to go back to to get nostalgic. Uh, my number four is uh, Uncanny X-Men 141. Uh, it's the first part of the uh, Days of Future Past story arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and while that's an incredible, you know, two issue story arc, um, the reason I like it so much, it's, it's the first appearance of my all time favorite character in comics. And mm-hmm. that's, uh, Rachel Summers, yeah. who is, uh, the future daughter of Scott Summers and Jean Grey, who's after these two issues, her future is not secured anymore. You yeah. know, she comes back to the, to the present from the future and that future no longer exists anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, so she talk about a character out of time, <laughs> you know, uh, but I've always really enjoyed that character. This is her first appearance and not only, uh, it was done in 1981. Yeah. Um, not only that, but it's also a really great and very poignant, uh, story arc in, uh, uh, in the X-Men series. And, uh, if you've seen the movie Days of Future Past, you really need to read the comic, yeah. the, the two com- issue comic story, because uh, it's a lot better, yeah. <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> uh, you know, there's uh, they keep an essence of it in the movie, but I I think the story in the comics is a is a much better, much better. A it's done better as far as just a cohesive kind of story yeah. and, and things, and it's just two issues, and it's uh, 
Yeah. It's a really, it's one of those key story moments in the history. <coughs> yeah, it's always crazy that because uh, that storyline is held in such high regard. It's it's crazy when you realize like it's only two issues, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> it seems like such a bigger story. Well, and if you think about it, that's you're really your first old man Logan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My number four is uh, Invincible 110. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with Invincible, it is, uh, it's written by Robert Kirkman, and it's his oh, superhero series. It's uh, essentially, you know, he essentially created a character of, you know, a character that, you know, what if you crossed over Superman with Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. You know, it's this, uh, this, this teenage superhero with, you know, these incredible powers. And everything, and he's built this whole world around the series, the superhero world. But his approach to it has been very different than your traditional superhero player. And he, in a lot of regards, just like with Eric Larson, he tells stories the way he wants to, and everything. Uh, this issue, though, was extremely impactful to me because uh, in the prior issues, uh, the hero Invincible is it's stuck on an alternate earth and which is a common theme in the series where he's getting stuck somewhere and for long periods of time. Well, in this particular time, he's stuck in uh, on a work on an alternate earth for probably about six months before he's able to finally make it home. And when he gets back home to, uh, to his girlfriend who was pregnant with his child, it causes this huge just turmoil between them, you know, he's trying to explain to her, look, I had no control over this. And, you know, she's just, I thought she had lost him and was going to have to raise the child alone. And just a very emotional issue. I mean, this whole issue, majority of this issue is just them having this conversation. I mean, with no action or anything like that. And it's just, it's heart wrenching. And near the end of the issue, though, you know, Invincible, he leaves and he comes across another character and uh, who, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but she's a part of the same alien race as he is. And she is looking, she, uh, is, uh, she finds herself attracted to Invincible and he doesn't want anything to do with her. And then and she attacks him and ends up over the course of the issue, uh, near the end of the issue, raping him. Okay. Yeah. And it just, it, and you just feel like, you know, here, here's this character who's gone through this emotional moment with his, girlfriend and then now being put through this traumatic experience right behind it it just it was just for uh, an issue that just you know wasn't anything about really about you know fighting you know fighting monsters or super villains or mad scientists or anything yeah but it's just such a powerful message or not necessarily a message but just such a powerful issue with all the emotion that you get running through it yeah and so that's that's why it's my number four I always wanted to start pick, or pick up that that series in the omnibus form because I've never read it. it it's probably, in, it. in my honest opinion, it's probably one of the best comic book series yeah. out right now. I've read a good chunk of it, and it's yeah. it's been a really it's it's a purely series. enjoyable series. Yeah. Cool. We're on to number three. Number three. My number three. Number three is the uh, JLA number fifteen, which is part six of six of the Rock of Ages storyline by Grant Morrison and uh, Gary Frank, Howard Porter, and Greg Land, who I love Greg Land's work, and I forgot that he did some pages of this book when he was a young artist. Uh, but yeah, and it's the uh, and that's probably one of the one an issue that got me back into comics at a time where I just stopped 
uh, when I started college and my parents had moved to Dallas and I stayed in Leveland and, uh, you know, having to, you know, work, pay bills and stuff like that. So like comics had to take, take, take a dive. And then I was just at like a, a town and country gas station, uh, on, like, I think it was after Christmas coming back from a Christmas trip. And I was looking through the spinner rack and I saw that and it's like the cover of it is Joker and Lex Luthor, uh, walking towards the reader and Batman is holding like electric Superman and Martian Manhunter back saying, he's like, no, we've got to let Luthor and Joker go. And this is back when they put word balloons on the cover. Right. right. <laughs> he's like, we've got to let Luthor and Joker go to say, you know, in order to save the world. And it's that whole storyline of like uh, where the Injustice Gang gets the uh, Philosopher's Stone. Yes, and you know they're using it, uh, taking over the world with it. And a lot of people got murdered. And in this part of the storyline, uh, when they're on the Injustice satellite, which is like a floating skull with the satellite dishes on the side uh, or satellite panels, like solar panels, and uh, they've already gone through this whole. And this actually made me go back and find the other issues to get the whole story, where it shows like you know. They travel to the future where Darkseid took over. Uh, I think the Black Racer is in this one. Uh, he's, I forget what he, you, you think it, they're describing the Flash, but it's actually the Black Racer is narrating part of the one of the issues. But in part six, it has a really cool element to it where Joker has the Philosopher's Stone and he's using it to like cut a, a path of destruction across the planet because he wants to make a smiley face on Earth because he wants Earth to look like it has a smile. So he's just like destroying all this land across the planet <laughs> and it's like killing people. And Martian Manhunter uh, uses his mental powers to get into the Joker's mind to shut him down. And like he's trying to hold him, you know, hold him back. But the like, Joker's so crazy. But when he gets control of him, control over him, the Joker realizes like he's, he's remorseful for everything that he's done because now he's like normal for a little bit. And, you know, asking them to, you know, you know, he's apologizing for everything. And they're trying to get him to turn over the stone and Lex Luthor whispers in his ear. He was just like, shouldn't he's like, you should bring back all the people that, that we killed in like whatever city that, that they had destroyed. And then Martian Manhunter couldn't keep him held any longer, but the flash manages to grab the, the stone out of his hand after he puts everything back to normal. And, uh, you know, everybody that was dead is back, back to life. And Martian Manhunter was describing it as like trying to hold the, the Joker's mind is like trying to hold back a storm, uh, which I always thought was, was a cool line. And then, of course, they were trying to arrest Lex Luthor. He's like, arrest me for what? He was like, I didn't kill anybody because all those people are, are back. Like, they never died. Right. And uh, Superman, everybody's accusing Luthor of like, yeah, that was your plan all along when you whispered that into the Joker's ear. So, you know, you wouldn't get arrested. And, of course, Superman's just like, no, I think because Lex Luthor, there's good in him. And he did that because he saw the air of his face. I was like, come on, soups. <laughs> but, yeah. But, full again. <laughs> but that, yeah. <laughs> and that's like my first, and that's issue 15. Uh, and that really made me go back and pick up all the issues up to them when, when Grant Morrison started his JLA run, which is like a fantastic run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's one of the like key issues that got me back into comics. I have to, I have to give that issue its props. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, my number three is kind of a tie. Well, it's not kind of a tie. It is a tie. <laughs> uh, and the reason these are tied is because these were the first time I picked up some comics that weren't X-Men related. Oh, yeah. Um, as 1990, it's Guardians of the Galaxy number one and New Warriors number one. <laughs> uh, these were, uh, these were kind of Marvel trying to bring some new blood into the comics. Yeah. Uh, some younger characters, new characters, and revitalizing some old characters. Yeah. Uh, and this is truly where I first heard of Guardians of the Galaxy. I went back later and checked out the issues from the 60s that they were a part mm-hmm. of and things like that. But this one really gave a lot more 
history of those characters yeah. and those issues did because they were uh, kind of one-offs or little mini-series kind of through the Avengers issues or, <clears throat> or some other things. Uh, and the New Warriors themselves were all new. They had some characters that were related to some other characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the interesting thing about this book is there's one character that's in both of these books, and yeah. it's Vance Astro. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy, he's far into the future, and he was a fan of Captain America, and, and he got into the space program, got sent into space and frozen, and they, the Guardians of the Galaxy find him and things like that. Uh, in New Warriors, he's uh, much younger, mm-hmm. uh, and he has these telepathic abilities that got awoken earlier, so yeah. it kind of... Diverged the timeline. Yeah, diverged mm-hmm. the timeline a little bit. Uh, Initially, you know, they go in later on explaining that. But these were the first time I branched out of stuff that wasn't X-Men related. Uh, And I just really enjoyed what they were doing and the fact that in a very small way, the the books were related to one another. Uh, And so it was kind of interesting seeing, because he was kind of the main character in both the books. For for some of it, you know, later on kind of changed a little bit, but... It was it was kind of interesting seeing the same character taking a different path, yeah, uh, and everything. And I just I really enjoyed those series, um, and to this day I still have a great fondness for both of them. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, it's kind of from what I remember of them. You know, if you you read you would see again it's the same character, but it's two different variations. You have this young kid who's starting out as a superhero and very much that rookie. And then in Guardians, you have this more older, more mature, more uh, seasoned character. You know, same character, but two, but two different variations of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's this is what he in New Warriors is what he had, and in Guardians, this is what he would become. Right. Know? So I remember, like in New Warriors, because I love the I love that book, and thanks to you, I have a complete run of <laughs> of that series. But yeah, like Vance was always he was like the conscience of the team, like the good, like the ultimate mm-hmm. good guy. The, the good boy, he always did what he was told and stuff like that. And if I remember on the Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean, cause, you know, he was the leader of the group, and he seemed like more harder edge, like he had been a through little, some little stuff. more grizzled veteran, yeah, kind of. Yeah, like he had seen some stuff. And then what you later found out is like he killed his dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, those two books together uh, are really interesting. And like I said, with, with Guardians of the Galaxy, you had some of these characters that were from the seventies. Uh, from the 60s books and yeah. uh, things like that. And you add some new characters in with them and you have a modern Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and then these are even, these characters are even different than what they later on in the 2008 series became a new Guardians of the Galaxy, which is what we got in the movies. Yeah. Now you see some of these characters in uh, the, uh, that were in this series, you see some of them in uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's just kind of interesting because I've been a big fan of Guardians of the Galaxy for a long time. Yeah. But when they announced that movie, I didn't know anything about the 2008 series. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is awesome. And I went to go find those issues and found them. And then, again, come to find out there's another favorite character of mine from an old series, miniseries. Yeah. Is a part of the Guardians of the Galaxy in this, and that was Rocket oh, Raccoon. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I became a fan of his because uh, of a, the miniseries, the Rocket Raccoon miniseries, yeah. and uh, Mike Magnolia drew that. <laughs> as the creator of Hellboy, yeah. and so vice versa. That I became a fan of Hellboy because of that. Yeah. So th- these two comics influenced 
the rest of my comic collecting and, and what I decided to pick up and what I was a fan of and yeah. things like that because of these two series. Yeah. Cool. Um, that's my number three. Well, my number three is Tales of the Teen Titans, number 44. And this issue's uh, particularly important. It's uh, It was part of the Judas uh, contract mm-hmm. storyline that was running in the Teen Titans books at the time. But for me, uh, what made this so important is uh, it it reintroduced uh, Dick Grayson as a superhero. Essentially, uh, prior to this, he had he he was the leader of the event or the Teen Titans, and he had quit being Robin. Um, well, this issue reintroduced him as Nightwing. So this issue is actually the first appearance of Dick Grayson as Nightwing. And for me, Nightwing has always been probably my favorite comic book character. Just because uh, he always felt like a nice little medium between Batman and Spider-Man, and you know, not quite as dark, but not quite as goofy. You know, yeah. it just—he just there's just aspects of the character I just really liked, and but you know, never cared for him in the the Robin outfit with his pixie boots and you know <laughs> his underwear, you know, and it just—and this was an issue where you know you finally saw the character grow up and mature and become everything that Batman saw into him. Yeah. So again, to me, it was, this is, that's why this is my number three choice. Cool. On the number two, uh, my number two has already been mentioned here. It was uh, X-Men number one, volume two, <laughs> October, 1991, uh, writer, Chris Claremont, artist, Jim Lee. Uh, we, uh, I, I've talked a lot about different renaissances and comics that all seem to take place in the nineties. <laughs> and I would say like, this one was probably like the first one because this is like when this started putting like comics on the map after, you know, the eighties and then like you know, that, that, you know, image formed like shortly after this, like once the artist realized like the artist is king in this medium right. at this point, uh, in large part due to, to, to this book. Uh, which, like Chase said, I mean, you know, it, it brought the the X Men together, which had been you know separated for so long, especially with like X Factor, which I love that X Factor book. Mm. Uh, you know, but it brought them together, and they were you know split up into two two teams, the blue and the gold. Uh, artwork is fantastic, storyline is great. Uh, you know, for for this this run, and uh, but I really loved it. I mean, I've got two two uh, versions of the same issue, which, like I said, I had Jim Lee sign my number one with the fold out cover. Which that one was, you know, kind of like what you were saying with image, like that the, that fold out cover one was done on like better quality paper. Yeah. Uh, you know, it became probably became a wall book like right away as soon as it came out, highest selling comic ever. Like, like we said, I mean, that had a big a big run. Yeah. On it, uh, which was like un, unheard of. It was like like what, a million or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it, it, it that book also started, you know, kind of what you know we <clears throat> the the specialty covers. You yeah. know, it was. I think there were a few before that and everything like that, but it really, that's the first one I remember. And then there just being a train of specialty covers after that, the hollow yeah. covers, the variant, the die cut cover, the, you know, the things like that. Well, I remember with that one, it was, because uh, it was one big old image yeah. of the entire X-Men team fighting Magneto. Mm-hmm. And you had the gatefold cover that had the whole image, but then they did was it five other covers that was the full image but split yeah. in different cover you know just different covers so you can put them next to each other they would create that yeah. that image yeah, yeah. so the individual you, ones were like they were kind of a pinkish hue yeah uh-huh. which was like oh, and i forget i think i have the storm colossus 
Jean Grey one cover well, as, as my as my newsstand one, and then I have the fold out one. And, and I remember that like each of like the the five ones that were the image that were separate, they had like a special uh, pinup in the back, mm-hmm. and it was different in each one. Like there was one that showed a picture of which was technically the first appearance of Omega Red and all right. that. Yeah. And then they had another one which was a blast from the past with the original X-Men. They had another uh, with uh, them at the beat or on the beach or whatever. But I, And there's a couple other ones too. But I remember that in the, the one that had the gatefold cover, it had all of those yeah, images right. in it. I got myself lucky that I have that pulled out. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So my number two, X-Men number one, the start of it all in terms for me anyway, of hardcore collecting. Uh, okay, so my number two. Uh, this is uh, Ultimate Spider-Man number one mm-hmm. in two thousand. Um, and I had been out of comics for a little while at this point. Uh, and I heard about this. And uh, actually, let's see, I've been I had been out of comics probably since ninety seven because I got fed up with the. Uh, uh, the Onslaught series. It just turned me off oh, comics yeah, yeah. all together. Yeah. Uh, and I was getting heavier into board games and card games at the time, so I ended up selling my comic book collection to buy board games and card yeah. games. And things weren't like you that. also uh, collect just collecting like indie stuff at the time too? Uh, yeah, I was Dawn and Poison Elves. Uh, you know, just just a bunch because I was just enjoying the stories more. But they came out so so rarely. You know, then everything like that. That I ended up, you know, saving money on comics, I guess, because I didn't wasn't spending stuff every week. Yeah. You know, uh, but when I heard about this and I heard about this relaunch and I heard it was Bagley uh, doing the artwork and everything like that, I had to I had to get in on this. Yeah. Uh, and then I just fell in love with the whole Ultimate Universe and it just brought me back into comics and everything. But this was this was the one that did it. This was the one that was. Uh, when I heard about it, I was like, I, I got to get in on this. It sounds really cool. It sounds really yeah. interesting, you know, and things like that. So it, it's what jumped me back into comics, at least for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Mm-hmm. Oh. <clears throat> so uh, my number two is uh, Thunderbolts number one from nine, mm-hmm. 1997. Um, and there's a little bit of story behind this one, particularly for me. This was actually the first comic that I ever discovered that I just really really sucked it up and was really collected. It really got started collecting a comic consistently was with this one. And um, uh, this issue was, it, it intrigued me. The series intrigued me because uh, when I first heard about it, it was, again, it was, uh, I was reading an issue of Wizard Magazine and they were advertising it and they were talking about with the, uh, at the end of the Onslaught storyline, you know, the Avengers and the Fantastic Four were quote-unquote dead. Mm-hmm. In reality, they were in a pocket universe created by Franklin Richards. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> there. so because of this, the loss of Earth's greatest heroes, there was a void on Earth, you know, whereas, you know, in the people in New York or in the world didn't feel safe anymore. I mean, all the only people they had to protect them were mutants or monsters or vigilantes, you know. Mm-hmm. So there was like, there was a definite void felt in the Marvel Universe at this time. Well, here I am reading this Wizard Magazine, and they're talking about this new team of superheroes called the Thunderbolts, who were going to help fill this void. And and it just intrigued me because, one, what caught my attention at first was the creative team. 
Mark Bagley was the art, is the artist, which we've already expressed our love for Mark Bagley. And but the writer was Kurt, Kurt Busiek, mm-hmm. who at the time was probably one of the hottest writers going in the industry today. He was probably that one writer who made really made a name for himself in the '90s. That wasn't that you know, like as we said earlier during the '90s, a lot of it was about the art. But later on, it became about the writing. Busiek was the first, one of the first art writers to kind of break through to, you know, make a name for himself during that time period. So it was very interesting to, you know, the creative team. And it just as I read about, you know, they were just kind of talking about it in this magazine, you know, just brand new heroes that had that feel of, you know, kind of the Avengers and all this. Uh, very, very felt very much like a flagship superhero comic. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, this sounds pretty cool. I'm get the first issue. So I get the first issue, and I'm reading it, and it's your standard superhero comic. You know, they're fighting the bad guys, or saving the city, saving people. You know, built and getting the heroes trust. And but at the end of the issue, when they after they get done fighting the supervillain team, the the wrecking crew, and uh, they actually in one part of the issue, the wrecking crew destroys part of the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> well. Thunderbolts defeat them, and they help rebuild it. And, again, this is just right after the Onslaught storyline, so everyone's just kind of like, oh, you know, we've got new heroes. They're here to protect us and everything. <laughs> and, you know, their popularity was higher than the Avengers when they first debuted and stuff like that. And, you know, they're just going on this stuff and making you feel like, oh, wow, this is going to be a really cool team. And then you find out at the end of the issue that the leader of the Thunderbolts uh, his character named Citizen V is none other than Baron Zemo, who leader of the Masters of Evil, yeah. who's one of the you know Captain America's greatest enemies, and it, every member of the Thunderbolts was a member <laughs> of the Masters of Evil. They were all actually super villains in disguise, and the whole thing was a con to try and you know for them the pl- this massive elaborate plan to take over the world. So to me, that it was. In a time that where the internet was very, was still kind of in, in its infancy, uh, you didn't get spoilers or anything very mm-hmm. often. So this was something that, you know, was kept really close to the vest on this. And it just surprised everyone because no one ever saw it coming. And it, it was something that had never been done, to my knowledge, at, at comics at that time. I mean, just as all the uh, hype and build and make everyone think that this is going to be the next great superhero team and even though it was yeah. it turns out they're not heroes at all <laughs> and so it just and it was one of those things you know as soon as i read that first issue i was shocked i was mad but then i was like i've got to get the next issue and see what happens next yeah. <laughs> so that's why thunderbolt number one is my number two pick cool i like it i always thought in uh uh, Captain America Civil War, uh, when uh, Zemo had gone to the facility where the Winter Soldier was programmed or whatever, uh-huh. that the other characters in those vats, that, that was going to be the MCU Thunderbolts. Oh, that would have been cool. Uh, that, that's what I was thinking was, it's like, oh my god, there's the right amount of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that would have been cool. I mean, even if they had just had like a plaque that said, you know, uh, you know, codename Thunderbolts, or, even though they killed them all. <laughs> right, right. Cool, like, like, oh, cool, that was their, that their, their been, MCU yeah. version. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a good book, I remember. Like, and, of course, you know, Mark Bagley, I was like, I'll follow, I'll follow it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. We're on to, to our number ones now. Yep, yep. My number one, wasn't going to let a list go by without throwing a Batman book in there. 
Uh, this one is Batman issue 400 from October 1986. This was the uh, 50th anniversary of Detective Comics year, I, I believe. And uh, so uh, Batman and Detective around this time, they had like the anniversary logo going across mm-hmm. their books. Mm, yeah, yeah. And they both essentially had the same storyline for their anniversary issue in October. Uh, but Batman 400 is is an awesome book. It's almost like an annual, as, as big as it is. Written by uh, Doug Monch. Uh, with art by just some of the artists here, because I didn't write them all down. It's like George Perez, Bill Sinkowitz, Art Adams, Joe Kerbert, Brian Boland, John Byrne, and then like a handful of others. Well, and, one where one artist did, did an artist a page. Yeah. <laughs> well, wasn't that one, wasn't that like the last issue before they jumped from uh, pre-crisis into post-crisis? I think so, yeah. And it's a really cool uh, story. It's almost like a good jumping on point for uh, a Batman book. And and it would also make a good ending for the Batman run because essentially uh, Rajal Ghul sets the Arkham inmates and the Gotham mental hospital patients loose in Gotham, and then Raj comes to the to the cave and tells Batman what he's done, and he's like, "I'll get rid of all your enemies right now." He's like, "All you got to do is join me," and Batman turns him down, and then like hits the streets to bring everybody in, and he calls in. Uh, I think Catwoman helps him, Talia helps him, Robin's with him. Uh, and then they turn out like all, all the, and there's a really cool shot. And I think it's Brian Boland that did the art for this part when Arkham is let loose. And I think the, the asylum uh, or the, the penitentiary or whatever, they're let loose and they're walking through the woods because they have special instructions. Like once you're broken out, go into the woods <clears throat> and they walk into the woods and all their costumes and weapons are hanging off of trees uh-huh. in the woods. And it looks so creepy. And of course the Joker's just like, ah, he's like got his arm out, like showing everybody all their stuff. Uh, they change, they all break up in the groups. Joker and Penguin take the police headquarters. Put, put, there's an, they're in a Joker helicopter, which is one of those awesome things. It's like the Joker head on the front of the right. helicopter. And then it has like tentacles that come out and cover the police station and, and prison bars. Uh, another group like kidnaps uh, Harvey Dent and uh, Alfred's daughter. So this is definitely like pre-crisis. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, Vicky Vale. And of course, like Batman splits up his teams, which is weird because you know I'm not a big fan of Batman in a team up. <laughs> uh, you know, and he, you know, they just you know wreak havoc on Gotham, take everybody down. I don't think they catch everybody, but I mean they get it. They get the big guys off the playing field, the Joker and Penguin and Two Face and Clayface and all those guys. And the artwork is just great. There's like great artwork all throughout the book. It's got like you know every villain you would want. Uh, it's almost like like a movie, like it's a movie adaption comic book. <laughs> Uh, you know, and they take everybody down, but and it's one of the main ones, like, cause I didn't always like read the comics back in the eighties. I would just look at the pictures, but I read that one and I was just like, this is amazing. And it made me want more, you know, and that's where I got like really stuck on Batman. And the end of it is, you know, they, everybody regroups at the cave. Oh, and the, the, the book is starting out. They're celebrating Batman's in their sliding timeline, his 10th year as Batman. Uh, and they're throwing him a surprise party. And that's when they find out like, you know, all hell broke loose. Right. Uh, uh, so they get everybody gets back in the cave that night because everything everything took place in one night. Uh, they get back to the cave. Uh, Rob or Alfred brings out the anniversary cake, and then as they're about to say, you know, Batman comes in. He's like he's shirtless, but he still has his cape and cowl on because he can't be in the cave as Bruce Wayne. So right. He still has to have yeah. a mask on, but he's shirtless because he's, his ribs are all bandaged up. And uh, they're like, yeah, blow out the the early so like, We forgot to put candles or some bullcrap. And a stalactite comes down, slams into the cake. And then, like, Bruce has to, like, be a, like bring the party down. He was like, it's a single, I think I have it written down. Or, yeah, a, a single candle to mark the first night of a new beginning. And nothing, my friends, to laugh about. 
because everybody's like trying to have a good time. He's like, man, what a buzzkill. <laughs> and then he wa- he walks off into the cave and Robin's just like, like more for us or something. He just like, there's a stalactite inside this cake and he's just grabbing <laughs> chunks of it and like handing it out to people. And it has like this real, uh, I want to say Brian Boland did this part of it too, uh, where he walks off into the, into the cave and then um, he's in a, like a mouth of a deeper part of the cave and there's all these bats flying around. And he has this really cool line that I've probably drawn like tons of times. Because uh, it's just like a silhouette of, you know, the bat ears and the cape. Right. And he just says, hello again. Beware forever. And I was like, whoa, man, that is so creepy. <laughs> Debbie Downer Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, man, that's probably like my favorite issue of any comic. Uh, and it's bag and boarded. It actually lasted through the 80s to stay in some good condition. <laughs> All right. Well, my number one is uh, Excalibur from 1988. Excalibur number one, 1988. This is the comic I absolutely fell in love with. Uh, I've always loved the idea of Arthurian legend and things like that. Uh, this was written by Chris Claremont and drawn by Alan Davis, um, which is pretty much why I fell in love with Alan Davis's work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you had is you had some core X-Men go off and they go to England. Um, and so you have Kitty Pride, Nightcrawler, and uh, Rachel Summers. Yeah. And they join up with uh, Captain Britain. Um, and, uh, you find the character, uh, Megan and, uh, they form a little team in Britain to help take care of all the stuff there and yeah. things like that. And it's just, it was, it was a fun read all the way through. It was just an interesting team. It was some of my favorite characters. Uh, you know, uh, I really came to really enjoy Captain Britain's character and I think he's kind of a, an underutilized character in the Marvel yeah. universe, even still today, <laughs> you know, I think he could be, you know, every much, I, uh, every bit as much a character like, uh, Captain America, if mm-hmm. you've got the right team on a book that was dedicated to him. Yeah. And not just one that was a UK only book or, yeah. you know, something like that. But it just, that, that started that series that I, like I said, I just, I fell in love with. Uh, the, the writing was, was, uh, good. The stories were kind of quirky. They weren't your typical superhero stories. They were weird, odd villains. And, uh, you know, some of the villains, uh, were, uh, reminiscent of, uh, or were based off Alice in Wonderland characters. And so it gave you a little bit of that Batman 66 vibe mm-hmm. where you had just these <laughs> ridiculous villains. Um, they were always going to parallel, different parallel universes or out into space or, you know, something like that, you yeah. know, to, to be protecting Britain, they were gone an awful lot, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, it was just, it was just a neat and fun book. Yeah. And to this day, I still have a soft spot in my heart for it. And it's, it's my favorite X-Men title. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough. I got Chris Claremont to sign my, oh, my number one issue. Um, unfortunately I didn't get to meet Chris when he signed it. So, yeah. but, uh, you know, that's why I hope maybe I can get to meet Alan Davis one day and get that, <laughs> get that creative team completed on that book, yeah. uh, and everything. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's my number one. And, uh, I, I can't explain why I like it. A yeah. lot of people laugh at me and like, oh, it's a silly book, you know, things like that or give me a hard time about it. But man, it's, it's one of those books that kept me into comics for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, you've been a huge fan of that book. I think I gave that book a chance just because of like, it's like, man, Brian talks about this book so often. Man. <laughs> like, I, I have the Marvel Legends Captain Britain figure because because you like that character so much. That's a good. That's a good figure too. Holy oh crap. yeah, that's a good figure. Uh, well, mine is kind of a is a two way tie just because I could not choose which one to pick. So indecisive. Yeah. Well. <laughs> 
The first one is going to be uh, Batman 608, uh, which was the beginning of the Hush storyline. Mm-hmm. had Jim Lee, Jeff Loeb. Uh, this was the comic that... Well, it wasn't this particular comic. It was more 611 later on. That was the, I believe it's 611, which had the infamous, the first ever in continuity fight between Batman and Superman. Yeah, right. But, uh, but th- it was this story that brought me back into really finding my love for Batman again, and she, and, which has persisted to this day. Yeah. And, uh, 608 was the start of that story on being in love and Jim Lee's work. Unlike some people with Batman, you know, I, I like a mix of the, detective stories and the superhero mm-hmm. stories and sometimes you just for the longest time you know Batman was just very much that detective stories and get kind of, I kind of got tired of them and but but this felt like a, a traditional superhero uh, story that lasted it lasted for a year and it just it really brought me back in to Batman and like I said to this day it's just persisted that's funny because I I think of Hush as like the definitive detective story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, to me that's that's like when I think of Batman detective stories, that's the first one I think yeah. of. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, uh, well, and then I guess in that conversation, it's a it's a good mix of the two. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'll agree with you on that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean I got into it because it felt like a superhero story, but yes, with that yeah. I mean, because with the mystery a, involved. Mystery. Yeah. 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 I read that story because I didn't read it until it was all collected, and I read it cold turkey. Oh, yeah. I didn't know who the bad guy was, and I was I was shocked by the end of it. I was like, "Whoa," <laughs> you know, and it worked out for me. And yeah. this story's been out long enough, so spoiler alert or whatever, you know, if you haven't read it, you stop listening, go read it. Yeah. Uh, but finding out it was Riddler who was yeah. one of my all time favorite Batman yeah. villains. Mm-hmm. I absolutely my favorite one. Yeah. Uh would just boggled my mind because Riddler's always kind of felt like a throwaway villain in most of the comics. You know, mm-hmm. he's never really had that definitive thing. Yeah. And Hush was that definitive thing for him. Yeah. The second part of it is it is another Batman comic and it's a it's a little bit more current. Uh but Batman and Robin uh number eighteen from the new fifty two. This issue was part of the Requiem storyline that they ran. Oh uh, yeah. The, the basically what led to this issue is uh, over in the Batman Batman Incorporated they had series that they were doing that they had uh, they killed off Damian Wayne who's Bruce Wayne's son and was the current Robin and so these Requiem issues that ran across different uh, issues uh, in different Batman series you know dealt with the aftermath of Robin's death and this particular issue totally. <laughs> with all with all the noise going on, <laughs> this particular issue was more Bruce Wayne or Batman's dealing with it emotionally. Yeah. This is this is kind of unique because it's a silent issue. There is no dialogue in the issue whatsoever. And as you're going from panel to panel, you just see, you know, Batman. He's just so angry and upset that he just goes out and he just starts. Basically taking all of his anger or frustration out on, on the criminals of Gotham. And it, uh, without saying anything throughout the issue, you feel that anger, that anguish and that torment that he's going through with the loss of his son. And it's just, it's just extremely powerful. And like I said, without the dialogue, it makes it even more powerful because of how well the, just the art translates that emotion. Yeah. 
Uh, it's definitely a choice to do a whole issue that way, but I mean, they did it so well. Who did that one? Uh, I can't remember. Tomasi. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of Damien, but I mean, that, that whole storyline like really got me. And then for, you know, when he was gone, even though we knew he was never going to be really gone, I think mm-hmm. even Grant Morrison had said something about that. <laughs> I heard him on a podcast talking about it. Uh, but yeah, that was a really powerful, powerful issue. And I would say, spoiler alert, if we ever did uh, an episode where we did our top trade or collected collected works, Hush would probably be my number one. Yeah. I love that one so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got the absolute for that. And it's, yeah. oh my gosh, it's it's uh, that was by one, far my favorite Batman story. Yeah, that was one when I actually had the, when they first started collecting it, they collected it in two different yeah, yeah. volumes. And I actually have both the individual volumes. Yeah, yeah that, uh, that's such a good story, you know. It's like it made me wish those guys had continued on for at least another storyline. Then they oh, went to yeah. Brian Azzarello after that, and I was yeah. just like, even though he's and a, it he's, very much you could kind of tell they set the precedent, and then yeah. that one it just kind of like oh. I was just like no, but it still has that cool Jim Lee logo that he created, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's got to be the same. And I read it, and I was like, oh, it's just too noir. Damn it, Azzarello. <laughs> But people, but he's a good writer, so I can't say this is bad. Yeah, it, it just Batman was not his thing for yeah. me. Yeah. Anyway, I, I read a few of them. Like, yeah, I like Brian Azzarello, but yeah, you're not. I don't like you on Batman. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's like you know, at least kept Jeff Lo- should just kept Jeff Loeb on here writing for a little while yeah. longer. You know, uh, man, yeah, that's that hush. Ooh. Yeah, let me go, go home. Okay, so got to go buy Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> order some action figures, and I'm going to reread Hush. Reread Hush. <laughs> all oh, right. Man. Well, we're all, we're all done with the fives. Yeah, I think that's another one in the can. Yeah, we'll, uh, we're going to go flush it now. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I mean, no, 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 this no, is no. another one in the in the long box. In the long box. There you go. There's another one in the long box. It's, been, it's a it, well, it, it's been bagged. It hasn't been uh, boarded or taped yet. <laughs> we, we gotta wait for editing for that. But uh, but it's it, it's in the long box to be processed. So there we go. One of those cool painted ones that looks like Wolverine cut through it or something. Maybe that's what would be our rating system. How many long boxes do we give this? How many long boxes? <laughs> I give this one short box. <laughs> but the one that looks like Peter Parker's camera. <laughs> one of those. Uh, <laughs> Well, all right. Well, it looks like uh, so. Uh, thanks for joining us this month, guys. I guess we'll see you next time. Probably if we time it right, it might be a Christmas episode, <laughs> right? <laughs> if we're lucky. If we're uh, lucky, we'll, 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 we're we're working on it, guys. We'll try to be better. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> thanks for staying around, you one listener, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks, mom. <laughs> all right. We'll catch you guys later. Right. Bye. Peace. Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. Amazing friends!